hello, this is Guillermo del Toro, and you're listening to Out Now Podcast. Hello. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is unfortunately not here this week. He's out another uh, another family assignment. But Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We dig into movies, but most of the for your review. The occasional commentary track or some other fun movie topic. This is episode 536. 536. And this week we are talking Spider-Man, colon, across the Spider-Verse. Yes. And joining me to discuss this film, we have a senior editor for Variety, from Earth 295 and serving as one of Apocalypse's Four Horsemen, it's Todd Gilchrist. Hello. Thank you for having me on here. I really appreciate it. And I hope to talk about my multiversal journey in, <laughs> in, in extreme detail today. Great. Also joining us, Assistant Managing Editor for Cinema Blend and from Earth 65 and friend of Brother Britman, it's Eric Eisenberg. Uh, actually, I'm sorry to say this, but uh, Earth 65 Eric couldn't make it, so I'm actually Earth 65B. I, I hope that's okay. <laughs> right there, I mean, we got one of you, so that's good enough for me. That's what I like. That's what I thought. I mean, yeah. And joining what us, I like about Earth 65B is that he's he's just finally hit puberty, so we're gonna just hear him <laughs> hear his voice crack. It'll be great. It's gonna be <laughs> awesome. <All right>. <laughs> <laughs> Also joining us, right up for the San Francisco Chronicle and IGN, and co-host of the Movie Film Podcast from Earth 58163, and living in the House of M, the only home that can fit his entire family, it's Zachy Hassan. Hey, how's it going? Uh, glad to have... Hi, Zachy, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thanks. Glad, glad to have you all here. I hope that if you do the research, you'll know that all those, uh, those Earth numbers are, are entirely accurate, and um, I'm looking forward to talking about this movie with you. Um, yeah. That's that's going to be a play. We're going to talk all about this film and a lot more. But first up, let's get to some show notes. Um, what's happening this month? It is it's a new month. It's June, and uh, that means we have a new commentary track coming. We do commentaries every month, and for this summer, we're doing something called Superhero Summer, where every commentary track is going to be themed around a superhero film. Last month, we did X Two in honor of its twentieth anniversary, and this month, we're doing The Mask of Zorro in honor of its twenty fifth anniversary. So stay tuned for that. It's going to be a lot of fun to record. We're doing that this week, so stay tuned. Um, what else? Uh, the, the 11th annual summer movie gamble, it's in effect, and this is another big movie, uh, that arrived this weekend. And uh, across the Spider Verse, it opened to 120 million dollars at the domestic box office, which is uh, a lot. Um, it's a, the, that's a good, strong number, and we're gonna see where that takes us uh, through the rest. Um, uh, just for some perspective, The Little Mermaid. Uh, added another forty, another forty million uh, to its box office total. It's at one hundred eighty-six right now domestic. Uh, Guardians is ahead of Fast Ten right now in the in the ranking for this week with another ten million. It's at three twenty-two overall. Fast X got another nine million at one hundred and twenty-eight. So those are all films that are certainly in contention as far as us predicting the top ten highest-grossing films of the summer. Um, so that's just something we're keeping track of all summer long. Um, and yeah, certainly some movies are making a lot of money and some are making less than maybe expected. So we'll see what happens. Uh, what else? Uh, iTunes ratings, of course. iTunes reviews and ratings. Good to get those. Helps out our show. Helps other people find our show. If you want to log into iTunes, search for out now. Today, you can do just that. And you can give the old uh, rating and review, which would be great. Help us, uh, help us pop us up on the old charts and everything. So thank you in advance. Okay. Let's uh, let's get into the show. Let's get into some stuff here. Let's start with some out now quickies. Damn. Each week and out now, we have a movie to wait there. Talk about the movie to wait there. Okay. 
Uh, Todd, I'm going to start with you. What have you seen recently? Um, well, uh, other than uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, I have seen uh, the only the other the other movie I, I watched recently was The Boogeyman, which uh, I thought that was uh, you know pretty good. Um, you know, I it didn't it didn't it, did, it didn't stick with me, but I th- I thought it was fine. You know, it's like a, a you know the, it, it's got good style. It's you know well acted, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then the only other movie that I watched in the last uh, few days was I watched the Errol Morris documentary, The Fog of War. Oh, okay. Uh, um, yeah, that's a real party movie on a Saturday night, like I did last <laughs> night. Um, you know, learning about Robert McNamara and his his war crimes. Um, Had you not no, seen it before? Uh, I, you know, I hadn't seen it in a long time. So I, uh, but I was revisiting it for a piece that I, I think I'm going to be writing, and so I watched it. It's it's interesting because it took you know was done 22 years ago, whatever it was, and like thinking about how it was reframing all these things from the cold war vietnam all these other things and then thinking about how even 20 years on like all those things have subsequently been reframed even above and beyond what he did and so it's uh it's a i mean it's a great documentary you know philip glass score all that kind of stuff so mm-hmm. uh very interesting yeah oh, good doc i haven't yeah. uh, revisited since the last you know fog of war party i had but yeah it's a, it's a pretty good documentary <laughs> sure sure i mean who doesn't have a fog of war party at least once or twice a year so yeah yeah, yeah. the fog hats really like to unite over that one <laughs> yeah exactly that's what they call exactly. themselves and the band is completely is so yeah. pissed that yeah, exactly. they saw that, they saw that <laughs> yeah 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 that and i think the only other movie i watched recently was i watched in the cut on um criterion and uh boy howdy i will tell you that i did not like that so you're not part of the 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 cults of following for the for in the cut that seems to have developed no i you know i i i saw i remember covering it when it came out and i didn't like it then but i thought i'm like maybe i just didn't give it a fair shot but when i finally like i rewatched it and i'm like i just even um given its you know sort of vision uh sort of revisionism of, of its perception um critically I just refuse to believe that's the movie that even Jane Campion wanted to make fully. Like, I think that it feels compromised in a way that I just don't even believe that she, like, she may be happy with the end result, but I don't think that is the movie that was fully intended when it was embarked upon. And um, it's, it's just a mess. It is It like, I just, I, you know, I'm like, and also we've now had many more movies that are much more actively about sort of, you know, like female sexuality and ownership and the 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 male gaze of of women and sexuality. And there are many movies that have done it uh, better and then some than that movie. So I, I was not I, I was hoping very, very much so to be sort of corrected in my feeling about it. But I, I didn't like it. Fair enough. All right. Uh, Zachy, let's shoot to you. What have you seen recently? Uh, well, it, it's been a busy couple of weeks just because my semester ended uh, last week. So I've just been uh, furiously grading, you know, like eight, eight different classes. But uh, uh, yesterday I caught the back half of Green Lantern because my 14 year old, my 14 year old decided to watch that on his own. <laughs> the back and, half. So and, you're like, oh, the uh, shit cloud stuff. The, the best part. Yeah, of the week. I pretty much. Ju- yeah, it was, it was funny because I, I, I woke up in the morning. I come down and and uh, yeah, he was watching it. And it was, yeah, it, it was exactly the shit cloud part. And 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 I'm like, are you watching Green Lantern? <laughs> I'm like, why? He's like, oh, 
<laughs> it's funny know? that uh, to, that Tamura Morrison is a key part in two different origin DC superhero movies. Oh, that's really funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I hadn't seen it in in a while, and that that movie is still terrible. Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> it, it broke my heart when it and that came out because I had uh, as just a big fan of the the comic books. I was really hoping for something that would live up to that. And it, that it it is poo. Unfortunately, that, that's a 2011 film. That's the first year we started doing this podcast, and I specifically remember that Mark Hoban, friend of the show, was on as was one of the guests on that episode, and he had such a funny description for the. We're like the elder characters that are on the planet, like the main planet or whatever, like HQ. Like they're just like these three guys that sit up in like a, they have like big mm-hmm. heads, right? And they just like kind of sit up in their own little pedestals and judge everything. I'm not big on the Green Lantern lore, so I cannot recall their names. <laughs> <for this laughs> the second. Guardians. The Guardians. The Guardians of Oa. Yeah. yeah. And it, that's just, that was, that's always been, that's, that's the fondest thing I have to say about that movie. That Marco <laughs> made me laugh describing the Guardians as this kind of like morose bunch. <laughs> just kind of judge things. Yeah. Uh, well, glad you're able to catch the, the back half of Green Lantern, a movie that we all try to forget. <laughs> no, I, I, I asked my kid afterwards, I was like, what'd you think? And he's like, so i'm like okay well you know i try not to nudge them this way or that i like to let them form their own opinions so i was like okay okay that's all right you're good hey, you, you know what <laughs> six more chances and ron reynolds finally got it so it all worked out at the end yeah that's <laughs> true i was just gonna i was gonna say it's a movie that in though it is forgettable we do never need to for we can never forget that when it came out jordan hoffman tweeted right now green lantern looks like it like it will be the greatest sci-fi adventure movie since A New Hope. Wow, you're wow. really just throwing Jordan under the bus really? there. <laughs> Listen, he he has been roasted about this many times. And well, I, sure, I we didn't have to do as, it here. As as, Nobody as, as, for you to do it here. As his friends, I as his friend, I feel an obligation. I mean, it's you know. <laughs> Was, but, was that uh, based on something like based on the trailer? Based, you know, no, based on I think when he saw it, if I'm not mistaken. So mm, I'm, okay. yeah, I like this was something that he sent after he saw the movie, and you know, it's not something he should. That's not an opinion that he should probably be proud of. But <laughs> but I definitely think it's something we should remind him of. Every time <laughs> we talk about it, so yeah. So, yeah. I uh, I remember when the biggest problem seemed to be, oh, the CG looks kind of funny on the mask, and that and that was uh, not the biggest problem of that movie. No, um, yeah. Eric, let's <laughs> jump over to you. What have you seen recently? Sure. Uh, well, I will also uh, put in two cents for the Boogeyman, which I really enjoyed. Uh, as just a big Stephen King fan, I I liked its treatment of the source material. Honestly, like it occurred to me just while I was writing the review that like it has there's an argument to be made that it's actually the best uh, feature film based on a Stephen King short story, just because every other single one of them is pretty much terrible so uh it's kind of just adding on to so it's a nice addition to that legacy if we want to look at it in that direction as far as short stories go yeah exactly short stories yeah not so like not novellas and not obviously novels uh but and obviously and features as opposed to like turning into tv shows and whatever but again so we're talking about a narrow field here 
However, uh, I hate Children of the Corn in every single iteration of it. So I guess <laughs> that, that's ultimately what I'm really trying to say. Um, I, I don't know if it was uh, a book, but I saw I watched Mr. Harrigan's phone last year and it was a nightmare as far as a novella. And uh, yeah, oh, OK, I'm, well, that yeah. And nightmare, not in a oh, man, I'm scared by this way. It's more of this is awful. <laughs> Why would yeah, you do this to me? <laughs> really bad. Uh, I'm not I'm, I am not sure what happened there. It's uh, it's mm-hmm. wants to be both like some kind of creepy story but coming of age and it's just yeah it's yeah that movie is awful uh but the boogeyman good good. i like boogeyman boogeyman scary effective nice stuff uh i will say like on the small screen there's been a ton of stuff uh to see Uh, we we were just talking about pre-show dave uh its finale was absolutely phenomenal uh yellow jacket succession barry like all those i uh all those seasons ended phenomenally and uh i don't know if you guys are fans of i think you should leave but i blasted through three in a night and just uh howled laughing that that show is unreal how funny it is i don't uh i don't drink so my fine wine is taking in seasons of i think you should leave very slowly (laughs) that's that's how i do it (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they, they, they like that's the thing. Like, it is it is so easy just to because they're like those quick fifteen minute episodes that and, like there's seven of them, and just before you know it, they're all gone. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. But they're so funny on rewatch, also that I uh, don't necessarily mind. Hmm. All right. Um, I've seen. There's one movie I want to mention that's coming out this week now. Yeah, it's the Angry Black Girl and Her Monster, and um, I watched this actually a little while ago now, but it's finally coming out, and so I just wanted to. Give it a shout out because I think it's quite good. Um, it's a debut director, Bohani, Jay's story. And um, it's basically a a take on Mary Shelley's Frankenstein set within a kind of inner city community. It involves this uh, teenage girl whose brother gets shot in gang, due to gang violence and she resurrects him. And the story, it kind of bobs and weaves when it comes to like, hitting the points of Frankenstein, but it still works on its own level as far as being like a social thriller. Um, and I think it's quite effective for a film that's made on, you know, a smaller budget that's coming out of, an, you know, from an indie, it's getting a release on, it's getting like a small theatrical release, but it's coming to like shutter pretty soon or what have you. But in terms of like these smaller scale films, this is one that I think is quite good, has good kind of messaging on its mind as far as how to handle that, how to put filter that through a kind of a horror lens. Uh, so I was quite impressed. I just want to shout out to the angry girl and the black monster and her black, the angry black girl and her monster. It's just a good movie. Right on. I'll check that out. And um, yeah, finale wise, yeah, I watched all of those and Ted Lasso as well. I would say, I would say, of the series finales that took place last week, which includes Barry Succession and uh, Miss Maisel. Um, I would say Ted Lasso was the least effective to me, not because I didn't think it was a good episode at all, but I thought it was fine, but it just feels like on the whole, whatever worked about the first two seasons felt like things were just off base this time around. And it's, it's unfortunate because I feel like that's a show that could have rounded itself out well by the end. And instead it just kind of, kind of catered in as far as i don't know why i if i had to guess i know like what bill lawrence is one of the creative teams on there and he was working on shrinking this year so maybe he just wasn't around as much to help kind of guide the ship <laughs> but i i don't know i just well i mean you know if you spend an entire season of a show called ted lasso where ted lasso was barely in any of the episodes uh-huh um it's a it doesn't set up this deep uh emotional attachment to a finale that the show is convinced is this deep emotional finale. Uh, and so I, we watched it 
like last night finally watched it and I, I you know I was pretty underwhelmed by the season in general but what's interesting is that you mentioned Barry which of course also ended this week and how you have these two different Saturday Night Live alums who you know had their little like sort of pet projects and you had in Bill Hader this project where he sort of went through his Vince Gilligan nightmarish you know uh, sort of nightmarish magical reality thing and then you had the Ted Lasso thing which was this sort of you know effervescent or intentional you know and but they were both auteur projects and how they both went so wildly different from one another and I feel like one of them stuck the landing and the other one maybe didn't quite as much yeah I you know this isn't a Ted Lasso podcast but I just I, I, when you have a show that doubles its episode length, you kind of think, oh, it's probably going to wrap up all the stuff. But instead, it's like, how are there holes in a show that got somehow <laughs> longer every episode? I don't. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It is what it is. So, but if they make like a Richmond show, I'm all for it. <laughs> I'll see. I didn't watch it. I'd, I'd watch those guys. We'll see what happens. Anyway, um, that's how the movies. Let's move on. Um, let's get to some trailer talk. We talk about one of the newest movie trailers of the week, when it's coming out, what we thought of it, what have you. And this week we have The Creator. This is an upcoming sci-fi film from director Gareth Edwards, responsible for both Star Wars Rogue, what is it, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, God, those titles, and um, and of course 2014's uh, Godzilla. And uh, now he's back, uh, directing a story starring John David Washington uh, that's set during a war between the human race and AI. And Washington's character... I guess it's some kind of special forces guy who discovers a uh, AI child, it seems, and uh, has to uh, work that out. Uh, that's, I think that's what the trailer's giving me so far, but I don't know what you guys think. Zach, Zachy, where are you with the trailer for the creator? I'm, I'm, I'd say I'm intrigued by it. You know, I, I think just it, at this point, it's novel to have a, a, a film like this that's not based on some kind of a pre existing franchise and sort of, I'm just glad it exists. Uh, in that space, you know, so I, I mean, I hope it's good. I, I, I'm, I'm intrigued enough to, to, to want to see it, but uh, beyond that, I, you know, I, I think just the novelty of a movie like this is, is sort of tickles me. Sure. Cool. Eric, did you see like stuff at this from like CinemaCon? Are you, are you, uh, I mean, I, I think I basically saw the trailer uh, that we, that we all got to see here. Uh, it, yeah. It wasn't really uh, much more extended than that. Uh, and I like I think it looks cool. I I agree uh, with Zachy that it uh, I I appreciate the idea that of like just original like and fully budgeted uh, science fiction is in itself just a cool thing to see. I will say the one thing that hangs me up on it is just the fact that like we've seen so much of this like the lone wolf and cub plot structure recently. I mean. People have made the comparison between like Last of Us and Mandalorian just because of Pedro Pascal of it all. But like George Clooney did that movie Midnight Sky a couple of years ago, which is basically the same yeah, thing. Which we and can't he, stop but, talking about. Right. Of course. Yeah. Everyone loves Midnight Sky. Well, I was, the only reason I keep remembering it is because I keep bringing it up in conversations about these kind of stories constantly being told. And the same goes for Cry Macho, the Clint Eastwood movie that came out a couple of years ago really again the kind of the exact same plot premise so that is and logan and logan i mean that's and logan, and absolutely back, but, looking but... before all of them uh for, for absolutely 100 sure uh so hey, that dads just need to have some little kid with them that's all i'm saying that's, 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 right. that's the idea 
But I mean, I, like, I'm just curious if they're able to do like what they're able to do with that, just because it is such a slam dunk for a grizzled man. Actually, there was something even. Oh, uh, uh, the fucking Adam Driver, 65, uh, is another example. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, like I, I'm saying, it happens a lot. And the, the idea is like, it's so easy to have like this grizzled, like, uh, doesn't want to be a paternal figure who finds themselves being a paternal figure to this like innocent who doesn't really like, who can't really communicate and who just is completely innocent and everything else that's happening all around them. Like there's only so much range you can do with that. And so that hangs me up. Can we but, throw that Tom Hanks movie in there where he has the robot? What's that movie called? What was that? Oh, and the dog. Uh, RV Hitch. robot. <laughs> Is that the new title? Yes. Hitch? What was it? Finch? Finch? Finch. Finch. Yeah. Finch. Finch, I think. There we go. Yeah. Uh, Todd, where, where are you with this? Sam? Um, well, I'm a huge fan of the Andor sequel that the guy made. Um, so I, you know, I really, um, like, I love, uh, <laughs> like, I, I really like the trailer a lot. And, um, and, you know, this is where I, I didn't quite realize I was doing this when I started it, but I set up a good joke, which is that I got a ringing uh, endorsement from someone who saw it already and they said it was even better than the trailer. And the person who that is <laughs> was Jordan Hoffman. <laughs> so, the set up. Um, I see. That's what that was. So, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, but no, uh, like, I mean, he, he did see it and he thought it was great. So, I, uh, I'm, I'm very curious, um, uh, you know, it, it looks very promising and, and, you know, like clearly if it's a question of, of, you know, somebody taking advantage of their opportunity, um, to do something on a big scale, um, you know, with some big ideas, like, uh, it sounds based on the feedback that I got, uh, you know, notwithstanding the sort of joke of what I was talking about, like the, the, the very muted conversation that we had about it which I, I i tend not to try to find out too much about something before i see it sure sounded really promising in terms of you know everything you're talking about um eric i think is right on the money but he didn't really talk about any of that stuff it was more like the ideas and the way that it executes and you know it clearly is capturing an idea that could not be more timely and i think that's actually like kind of a very fortuitous thing if it if it actually pulls it off it's it's um, wild how timely it feels like because this movie's been in the works for a bit now if Gareth Edwards doing it. and it's not like ai just suddenly appeared out of nowhere but like it certainly had a you know a bit of a boom this year so far as far as its relevance among pop culture so it's uh interesting that of the timing of it all um with that said i'm, I'm you know i'm right there with you guys as far as like yeah i you know see original movies on a big budget get made cool i'm into that but also, I am a huge Gareth Edwards fan. I, I really like, I'm a huge fan of his Godzilla, of course, and I like Rogue One, and I like Monster, his debut film. Yeah, and, that movie's good. And what I really like is he has a great sense of how to convey scale on a screen, and that's the thing I'm most excited about. I want, like, he, now he's away from IP, uh, regardless of how good he of a job he did with IP, I'm curious to see what he can deliver as far as showing me, like, a war between humans and AI. And given his track record... I have a, I, I'd like to think that's going to be pretty impressive in that regard. So that's that's the aspect that has me excited, just to see what this particular director can do with, sure, a premise that feels familiar, but the way he seems to want to, like, what what the potential is for him to kind of really show what that looks like. So I, you know, I'm certainly curious. 
Happy to hear that Green Lantern's number one fan is also a fan of this movie so far, so we'll see where that goes. <laughs> um, but I, 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 I am certainly... I've I've been excited about the fact that Gareth Edwards has a new movie to begin with. So now that I have a trailer to go with it, yeah, cool. I'm I'm down. Let's I guess do it. it has been a minute, right? Yeah, because it hasn't been since uh, Rogue One. Rogue One, which is like yeah, twenty six. And he, Eric, and... Eric, does um, Midnight Special fit into that as well? To you our know, I guess wolfing... it does. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So yeah. you got Midnight Sky. Yeah, and he's Midnight. got like a whole. He's got like him and Edgerton and like Kirsten. Like there's a whole bunch of people with, with that. Yeah. <laughs> and sure, Adam Driver is in Midnight, Midnight Special. And yeah. then he was in '65, so you know it's all it's all connected, much like the multiverse. <laughs> and I think that what you're telling me is that this transition was brilliant. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they don't call you Segway Gilcrest for nothing. That's right. That that they don't it's, call me that for any reason. Yeah, it's not because <laughs> of the giant scooter you ride around between screens. <laughs> it's a uh, terrible mob nickname. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the uh, the creator opens in theaters September 29th uh, this coming fall, so stay tuned for that. But now, yes, let's move into our main review for Spider-Man colon Across the Spider-Verse. Miles' grades are pretty good. A in AP Physics. That's my little man. And a B in Spanish. What? Ooh, okay. Miles. Are you trying Mira, to kill me? Mira, that's what I'm I gotta go. All right, everybody. He's lying to you, and I think you know it. What's up, danger? Miles! Wanna get out of here? Oh! When? So wait a minute. There's an elite crew with all the best spider people in it? Uh, who's the new guy? This is unbelievable. This is the lobby. Miguel O'Hara. The whole thing was his idea. What's a guy gotta do to join this spider team? You can never be part of this. Don't even get me started on Doctor Strange and the little nerd back on Earth 199999. Come on, go easy on the kid. He had a terrible teacher. Peter! Miles! Mayday! You have a baby? I have a baby. I'll take it from here. All right, that should have been some of the trailer for Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. In 2018, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse arrived, reminding audiences of the greatness Sony once had as the sole producer of Spider-Man films. The film would go on to win the Oscar for Best Animated Feature and create legions of fans for Miles Morales and Spider-Gwen, among others. Now we have Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse featuring three new directors at the helm, Joaquin DeSantos, Kemp Powers, and Justin K. Thompson. In this first part of a two-part story, Miles finds himself pulled into a new adventure through the multiverse while chasing after Gwen, who has become part of the Spider Society led by Miguel O'Hara, aka Spider-Man 2099. Their goal is to clean up the mess that comes with opening up portals to other universes. Miles, however, may be involved in some may be involved as some kind of anomaly affecting his plan, creating lots of spider conflict all over. Eric, if the first film was said to have raised the bar in many ways. Did this film manage to continue that trend? Absolutely. Uh, it, I, I there are some sequences, if we're, especially if we're talking straight animation. There are some sequences in this film that literally just dropped my jaw. I, I, I can't, I couldn't believe the kind of stuff that they were just pulling off and accomplishing. Honestly, and, and and I think the key, the ultimate one is, uh, is uh, Gwen, the Spider Gwen's universe. Just in, which, like that, essentially that mood, that mood ring uh, aesthetic, where you can just you have these like backgrounds that you entirely just decide to sacrifice 
in the in the in the name of creating a moodscape for the characters and reflecting how like uh, re reflecting the tone of a conversation. I, I I it's it's so unbelievably cool and just something you never see attempted anywhere near attempted in a in a mainstream studio animated film. I was absolutely blown away by it, and not only that, but just even if we're talking about this as a Spider-Man movie, I mean, Spider-Man movies, like we're generally talking about like gigantic, massive action sequences and something. And I, I've, I've seen the movie twice now. And something that's just particularly struck me is like, this movie is 90% emotional moments between characters that are occasionally sporadically broken up by uh, like big bombastic action sequences, which they absolutely are. But it, it is so dedicated to building its characters and finding an emotional tenor. And it's also just really sad. Like It really is such a sad, dramatic movie for, again, being a Spider-Man summer blockbuster. There is so much to it that you don't expect and that it probably shouldn't be and yet is and is successful at it. Well, it sounds like you liked it okay. Um, yeah. Zachy... <laughs> As an avid comic book reader, what can you say about how this film brings the pages to life, assuming you believe it does? Uh, well, I, I should stipulate that I've not read any of the Miles Morales uh, era. I kind of tapped out of Spider-Man before he was introduced. But but I think uh, certainly in terms of capturing the ethos of the the of each each you know realm each earth having its own specific look i think it did an amazing job with that and and eric already mentioned like gwen stacy's world and the sort of the watercolor approach to that it's just so so vibrant um and and then related to that it i i think when we talk about sort of the the animation style and how this one differs from the first one it was funny to me that you know uh into the Spider-Verse kind of reinvents the wheel. And then we see everybody else kind of catch up. So uh, just in the last year, you had like the, the bad guys and Puss in Boots doing sort of Spider-Verse style. And then this one kind of just kind of does something entirely different. Now we're just going to be racing to catch up with that. But the for me anyway, the moment that stuck out to me the most above and beyond all the all the you know the wonky effect stuff was the, there's a scene near the end where where uh miles morales is uh talking to his mom you know he he, he thinks he's he's home and it's just this this conversation you know and just the the way the characters move and everything i was watching and i was like i'm sure they're gonna do like a live action miles morales or something but i was like we don't need it i was like this is miles morales like it it, this this character that they've created is as real as any any live action actor they could put in that role. I don't know. It was just so. It was mm -hmm. like this moment of clarity I had with that. You know. There, yeah, that's a that's a great way to look at it. Is because I'm certainly reticent to be like, oh yeah, let's get that live one in here. When it's like, yeah, no, you're. You, I think you're spot on in that regard. <laughs> uh, Todd. Where do you see a film like this in the realm of our superhero-centric movie landscape? If we have something like Jordan Hoffman's favorite Green Lantern at the bottom. <laughs> oh, he's just getting railed in this, in this episode. My God. Where, where, do you, where do you view across the universe? 
Um, well, you know, I, I mean, truthfully, you know, one of the things that I saw somebody acknowledge was that they said that, you know, one of the things that a Spider-Man, an animated Spider-Man movie does better than literally any live action Spider-Man movie is that it can manipulate the eyes of Spider-Man, which is something that the comic book can do and that cartoons can do, but, but live action movies don't. So you just have like their, the, the lenses of their spider things. And to me... Hmm. It is something like that, that to, that like, it was just a very simple observation I saw somebody make. But to me, it speaks to how unbelievably vividly it brings to life the sensibility and the art, like just the, the imagination of the way that the character was created in the comic books. And, and, you know, I probably know far less than Zachy, but, but like the idea of uh, like when I collected comic books and I started becoming, a, I wanted to be a comic book artist when I was a kid because I collected spider-man i remember just being like absolutely gobsmacked by the invention of you know his abilities and the way that these artists would create these the landscape of them and so you know i think that um the other and, and the live action world of superheroes in my opinion has become so aggressively controlled by the larger infrastructure of visual effects that um that you know a movie like this feels like it's really capturing the sensibility and the energy of like a comic book superhero story whereas you feel like you're kind of just switching out from a lot in a lot of superhero movies who the hero is or who the characters are and what the set piece is and you know it's like i was thinking about the fact that the last time i really felt like there was a tangibility to a superhero movie at least a spider-man superhero movie was like back when Sam Raimi was doing it and you know since then it's just become like well we can do anything with CGI so you're kind of like well isn't that technically just photo real animation and hmm. this to me like in it it not only captures that like I remember watching the first film and that scene between Miles and Peter B. Parker where they walk down one wall and up the other yeah and you're like and that's like a long scene and you know there's there's the one in the original Spider-Man there's one in the other ones where they're like climbing on a wall and you know and it's like a cool moment but that to me was like that's really what I think of when I think of Spider-Man like I think of that kind of like skewed perspective stuff and so when you get to that and the way that this movie captures like sort of the way the world is oriented according to this superhero to me that really sets like a new bar and I, I hope that makes sense like because I just feel like like you know you watch superhero movies now and even if it's an origin story or whatever and there's a uniqueness and there's a filmmaking style to them they still are to to some extent adhering to the language that we have all kind of absorbed and accepted as, as superhero movies and to me this is like really just like such a such a absolute like you know down to its dna a a, a foundational fulfillment of that idea of what superhero visuals of storytelling of all this stuff is and i think that you know it in the same way like just like jack exactly said like it's like it did completely changed the game for animation in general and i'll be surprised if it doesn't you know really impact the way that maybe people start looking at you know live action things because the fact that you are you know the fact that they are going oh yes maybe we should make a live action miles morales like they're only doing that because this is so good it's right. not like like oh that's just a story we should tell 
it's like we should do this but the truth is that they're doing it so well now they don't need to do that and so maybe what they'll do is they will apply that a level of imagination either to another character within the marvel universe or some other superhero or you know just just in superheroes in general i think that would be i think that would be great I will also, I mean, just to quickly throw into the conversation is like, uh, as far as just the the different art styles, I mean, it's even representative in the comics, just in, in the fact that if you think about the history of Marvel Comics, the number of artists that have contributed to what is supposed to be this like singular universe of quote unquote Earth 616, like there's all these different styles that contribute to this larger storytelling, which is kind of what in essence Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is. So it's very much a reflection of that as well. And what I, I will say, I just wanted just to just to add to that, I, I like what I really love about this movie is that you have this you all certainly the backdrops like I remember there's like an early scene in the movie between I guess it's Gwen and her father and and that that mood ring thing you described but the fact that they no longer even need to create a like sort of continuity. And it's no. just reflective of the emotionality of the moment. And so you have the figures and they can look any way that they, they need to, and they can just change it according to the mood. And it's so powerful. But then on top of that, to have these Spider-Mans, like the first time you see the vulture and it looks like they took the, the, the drawing, the diagram of uh, Da Vinci's man and they made him into a supervillain. And he's fighting on this piece of like war, like parchment paper in comparison to the other superheroes who are all fighting in their own realities. And then you have Spider-Punk who looks like they took like uh, a, a, like newspaper clippings of like Sid Vicious and of, you know, people from 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 the UK punk. Um, you know, era, and they they just animated that somehow in the middle of all this other stuff, and it so communicates the personality, and it's also visually just so fascinating. And so you're watching it, and you're like, it really is. It's like if you were going to watch uh, a Todd McFarlane, and then like a uh, Mark Bagley, and then like a uh, you know whoever. <laughs> like it was all these different um, you know Spider-Man artists working, doing their own version of these characters, and yet they're all within the same canvas it's so that that to me was like the thing where like i got done and i was sitting between um you know my arch nemesis germain lucier um who i think also <laughs> probably likes uh, green lantern but wow. he's just a wow. but he's just a dumbass um <laughs> and, you know and, and another friend of mine and and we were sitting there and like they were like this movie's so good and i was kind of like just shut up i was like i can't i'm just trying to process what i have experienced like it was so like overwhelming in this beautiful way that i i was like that's why i was so excited about the idea of even going to see it again was to be able to just to try to capture every you know take in everything that i saw on screen i mean i can tell you two two is not enough i i i again i've seen it twice and i need more like i need to keep going mm -hmm. Because there's, yeah, there's so much. So I, um, it's not as though like I didn't have any, like that I had any doubts that this wouldn't like deliver, but like going into it, once it gets to, as you described, Todd, that whole vulture sequence where you have this, you know, this alien thing in the realm of what kind of animation we're seeing enter the frame and it has to be both resembling like 2D sketches, but also exist in a 3D animated reality. Mm -hmm. I was just like, like, I figured like this film is going to, you know, do something that has to be new in the realm of Spider-Verse movies. But it's like, I can't even like comprehend like what we're going to get into if this is like what we're starting with, because it's just it's 
so impressive in a way where I, you know, I, I hardly know how making animated films works to begin with. And this is just like, how did any, how could this be possible? <laughs> like seeing this happen? <laughs> like I, it's, it's such an impressive feat in terms of just visual design. And we, you guys have talked about that plenty already. So I don't need to reiterate too much of that beyond just saying, I agree because it's, it just looks spectacular. The other thing here is the storytelling that's going on. And yes, there's so much character based stuff and so many quieter moments in addition to having a, overarching plot that involves the multiverse at a time when we've gotten a lot of multiverse related content whether it's in the mcu or i don't know oscar winning best picture films so it's like this is certainly a thing that's been inundated upon audiences and that could be exhausting in the wrong type of movie but in the right type of movie oh my goodness like this is it's so impressive that it's able to tell a story like this along with all the ambition going on within the, the visual framework of the film and yet make it all Fitting for a PG-rated movie that essentially means anybody could go walk in the theater and see this and be fine. Like, the fact that it's able to do that so well is very impressive. The, the thought that I, one of the thoughts that I had upon seeing this for the first time was this movie makes No Way Home look stupid. Because it's like, <laughs> like I, I like No Way Home well enough, but it's like, that is just scratching a very small surface when you talk about what you could do with Spider-Man and a multiverse of characters that could come out of it. Which and I mean, it, it, mm-hmm. sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say, and yes, live action has its limitations, but at the same time, I mean, I don't know. I saw Paya Khan come out of the water, and like that—that's showing me what the possibilities are when it comes to live action filmmaking. So I, I don't know anymore. Like, you give Spider-Man a whole bunch of money, I, 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 I expect a certain thing at the, I guess at this point, it's like, yeah, that has its limits in that realm, but in the animation world where you can do all kinds of crazy stuff my oh my god there's so much here that yes will certainly require multiple viewings i saw it twice so far i saw it again today with my lovely girlfriend and it's like that's not gonna be enough if you want to just take in all of the stuff going on here but just to pare it down to just the story they're trying to tell and even for being just the first part of that story i was so impressed by how how well it was able to communicate to me what what matters here what characters do I need to focus on? What is the story? Like, what are the beats that I need to, like, understand while also still, like, being open to seeing all of the stuff that's coming at me at a mile a minute? Like, I, that, the, the, the collaborations involved in making all of that feel so, you know, legible <laughs> and just fulfilling is incredibly impressive. And I wanted to, I mentioned this beforehand, I want to ask this question because my friend pointed this out to me and I will set it up a little bit, but I want all you guys opinion, which is that um, one of the things that I think what you're getting at is the way this movie deconstructs the monomyth of the origin story of Spider-Man. And, and, and also what is, what it comes down to is the origin story that drives every superhero that there is, and that they have used that to extrapolate this idea that all these things are feeding people into this, sort of storytelling machine with this central idea that is, you know, has, has uh, interchangeable parts. So it cha- it's not the same for everyone, but the, the foundational idea is the same. And I think that's really like such a fascinating thing because it, it, what it's doing is it's exactly deconstructing this whole thing that we have been watching over and over again. in you know, the, the 15 years of the MCU and, and, and before that and, and, and superhero stories. 
However, the thing that, that I am curious about is you have the idea in this movie, and this is a spoiler, so I'll just alert everyone who may theoretically may not have watched this movie, is, which is the idea is that Miles Morales in his reality was not supposed to be Spider-Man. He was mm-hmm. not meant to be Spider-Man. And so, okay, that's, that's fine. And so what happens is you have these other people who are trying to, they, they're like, you have ruined this monomyth and this certain realities. And so what he decides he's going to do is he learns that his father is going to die, which essentially would be reinforcing him being the myth of Spider-Man. However, if his father is going to die and he was never meant to be Spider-Man, don't those two things cancel themselves out? I would say that's a thing that I think Gwen understands that. And I think Miles wants to believe that that's the case, but I think like Gwen having her father resign as being captain and it like not causing the universe to collapse on itself. I feel like, I feel like there are various people with different perspectives that could be deemed valid based on the information they have. And we're following a main character who's going to his intentions right at this point, or I need to open that up. So everyone can see that. Does that make, does that make sense? Yeah. Am I on the right well, track I mean, there? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm asking because I don't know the answer. I would love uh, Zachy and, and Eric's opinions yeah. on that too. Because exactly. it was something that, that didn't quite occur to me until after somebody else saw it and they were, we were talking about it. Zachy, what do you think? I mean, I think that's a great observation. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll concede. I, I didn't think about that either. But I definitely, I took the the whole the whole crux of, oh, you, you weren't supposed to get bitten. I took that as a meta commentary on how fandom yeah initially treated miles morales because i've encountered people who i i remember after uh into the spider-verse came out and i gave it just i was like folks you got to see this don't think it's just a cartoon and i had people comment on my social media saying i'll watch it but i'll never call him spider-man which is like such an effing stupid thing to say you know what i mean like yeah, like that's the whole point of the movie is anybody can be Spider-Man. Peter Parker or nothing, except maybe Ben Riley, but only for a little bit. <laughs> right. And, and I mean it, so I took it as no, you're the wrong guy, you know, and and so I kind of love that that they wove that into uh, you know, and it, it we know that the story's gonna pay off in some way in, in uh part two of this that that just reinforces no, he absolutely was the right guy, but but it's hilarious to me that we have that kind of commentary in, you know, in the real world where people are just so, so obstinate about, no, this, you know, canon event. My canon can't be broken no matter what. Mm-hmm. And, and boy, yeah, I say this all the time. Canon is just a prison of the mind. And a lot of people just really want to be, be stuck in that prison, you know. But I, and to add on to that, though, what is in, also interesting about kind of this whole movie and its premise and like basically Miguel O'Hara's whole mission, though, is that there are consequences to breaking a can. I mean, we see in uh, the Spider-Man India that like Mubadi, if yeah. you break the canon, that it does have consequence, which in my mind only makes the movie more fascinating because ultimately what it boils down to is in emotional versus logic, con- like mm-hmm. decision. Like you have to decide like, do I, is my the the single love that I have for my father worth the like anti-utilitarian destruction potential destruction of the universe that saving him could cause? I mean, there is an argument to be made watching this movie that Miles is a hundred percent wrong. That like <laughs> if he is honestly going to be causing the destruction of Earth sixteen ten, and that his entire being is a sincere danger to reality. 
he's wrong. Like, I don't think there's any arguing that. And like to set up the stakes in that sense where you can't, you, but at the same time, like we are so emotionally connected to Miles Morales through this storytelling, through the journey that we've seen and through what he experiences over the course of these two stories so far that we completely understand that he doesn't want to see the death of his father. Also, there's the fact, you know, I don't think any of us want to, well, not any of us, yeah. but the vast majority of us do not want to see our, our father's die especially ones that are doing something heroic because they're doing something heroic so i i i find it so incredibly fascinating again this is a pg movie to to reinforce what aaron was saying like this is a pg movie and there's some heavy there's some heavy stuff here i love it i would argue but i would i would argue but, that the what you're arguing eric and not this but i mean and obviously there's a part two to kind of get into this more but the this is a point of view that miguel o'hara has but I'd also say it seems narrow to me because there are so many variables that extend beyond just miles and what his actions are causing. I mean, the, oh, sure. spot, the spot is certainly causing the things that happen to begin with. You can trace, well, he created the spot, though. You can, trace, so. you can trace that back, though. It's like, well, okay, did my, when it comes down to that, it's like, well, would that have happened to begin with if Kingdom didn't do a thing or if this thing didn't happen or this thing didn't happen? Maybe there's other things that happened. Maybe because Miguel's doing all this other stuff, that led to this happening in India to begin. Like, there's so many there's it's hard to, it's hard for me to say this one thing is the sole cause of everything happening uh where i 100 fair which That's a good argument absolutely That's which which, and, does, which does make me wonder like yes what's miles going to do next time around that is either going to open the minds of miguel and those that are on that are siding with him or yes go conversely and say what what does it narrow down to i i i find that to be yes i i agree with you as far as i find that to be vastly exciting to just want to have those questions and i think you know i mean to me i think also what is what's really interesting is that they they have this whole external narrative which is you know the what's happening with the spider people and then there is the thematic reinforcement of that in the story but then there's also this idea which is that miles goes the beginning of the movie to his college uh, interview with his guidance counselor and his guidance counselor is basically coaching him into adopting a familiar story that will make him seem appealing as he's going off to colleges. Mm -hmm. And it feels like that is the setup for the entire movie to me, which is the idea that like, it's easy to yield to the familiarity of a narrative that you already know. Um, and yet um, there are people who actively or passively, you know, fight against that to tell the story that they want to tell. And so you have this character who refuses to believe that, you know, he will adhere to what this this narrative is, which I think is super fascinating. And then on top of that, you have this idea, which is that is that is that instead of being um, in in um Gwen showing her father who she is, which is not something that typically happened in most of the other spider stories, at least mm -hmm. in within this world, she broke the the pattern of behavior, which is that she revealed herself to her her loved one. And the consequence of that was instead of her father dying in the line of duty, he quit. And I think, and this is just my theory, this is the only thing that I sort of took away from the movie is that what she identifies is the fact that her father quit means that he changed what that origin story is. Uh -huh. And the idea that she will help Miles, whether it is to get Miles and to get his father to quit being the captain of the police or whatever it is, or, but she identifies that there is a way out of this um, sort of 
canonical uh, jail, as you called it, Zachy, I think, uh, you know, the idea of, of, uh, of, of like people adhering to and obeying this narrative that is presented to them. And, you know, I think that that's like, I would say the only minor fault that I have is that I feel like the movie doesn't quite come. It's incredibly satisfying and it's incredibly entertaining, but I, I, even knowing that there were two movies, I kind of wish that it had come to a little bit more of a rest than it did at the end. Um, that I'm not really finding fault, and I'm like I'm sure when I watch it again, I'm going to be just as overwhelmed as I was the first time. But but I you know, but I do like the idea that like if that's even remotely close to the direction this is going, like there is the propulsiveness of the second movie that will bring all these ideas together even even more. Um, you know, sort of clearly and in more definition than they did uh, in introducing them in this one. That well, it even kind of has to just because, I mean, they. I think it, Miguel says that it, he's it, uh, that uh, Jefferson Davis is going to die in two days. So, like, mm-hmm. kind of have to come out of the gate sprinting, sprinting in, uh, in yeah. the universe. So to to get away a bit from like where things are going, I do want to bring it back a bit to, and Todd, you already kind of answered my question, but what did you guys think of the fact that this is a a, a one part or a first part of a two-part story where you satisfied with the way this film was structured. We've already seen this at least once this year with, with fast X, which nobody complained about whatsoever. Nope. And um, <laughs> I, I'm curious if you guys think the, this film handled the aspect of finding a place to stop itself in a, a satisfying as, as it does, but also if you found the structure of this movie in general to be satisfying, because I, I think it has much like Todd, you're actually saying as far as, what the conventional version of this could be the structure is all kinds of over the place i think it plays a great trick as far as how it reveals what the plot is over time and what it chooses to climax with which is not like a big blue beam battle instead it's something more intimate so I, i'm curious what you guys think of like the structure of this film and like how that works well, as far i think as you just everyone. hit on it which is that the three plot stru- the three act structure plot wise is for both movies to kind of handle but this movie is really about like bringing full arcs to both gwen and miles like mm-hmm. seeing their emotional growth from the beginning of this film where they are at the start versus where they're at their end which is after these huge emotional moments of catharsis where uh gwen uh has her cover has her final emotional conversation with her father and miles albeit not actually his mom uh has the conversation where he uh after after having seen the world that he wanted to experience comes back and realizes that he still needs them so like i feel like the emotional growth in the characters is really all i needed uh as far as like propelling me uh through this story and in that way, I consider it a success and I don't feel in any way cheated or cheapened by the fact that we don't see like a conclusion to the spots master plan. Zach, how do you feel about this? Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I, 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 it's interesting because, because when I watched the film, I was like, oh man, you know, and then it, it says to be continued. I'm like, oh man, long wait. I, I'm excited, you know, and, and I'm like, there's more of the story. It's fantastic. And it wasn't, until this weekend that I started seeing people really complaining about the fact that it doesn't end. And, and I was like, well, it just, if you like the first half, you got more of this to look forward to, you know? And I, I, I actually like where it left it because when you compare it to other sort of, you know, cliffhangers uh, part two, yeah. Cliffhanger. I'm like, you know, obviously you were just talking about fast X and like, for me, the problem I had with that cliffhanger, I said this on, on my show with Brian, where I was like, it doesn't feel like, 
it doesn't feel like a, a particular cliffhanger to me because I'm like the the stakes at the end don't feel any more significant than the stakes that were there throughout. So it's like, well, yeah. we're going to get out of it. Whereas this, it's kind of like you've set up this conundrum where what is the resolution of Miles's uh, situation with his dad going to be? I'm interested. And, uh, you know, that there, it's it's like a uh, there's an intellectual struggle that's kind of more interesting to me. So I, I'm totally down with that. You know, I think, I think this is one of the better examples of a, of a to be continued uh, in not just in recent memory and going, going back a ways to, you know, the matrix and, and, uh, you know, back to the future. And I would, I would just add to that, that I, I do feel like um, the in immediate comparison to fast X is that it is, sort of baffling not the least of which because they've now announced that they maybe are doing some sort of Dwayne Johnson side quest that is a part of the finale of the Fast and Furious series they didn't shoot the two movies back to back so there's not the there so it's like so what you're telling me is there's a cliffhanger that will not come out for at least a year or two years I mean there's no chance they could shoot this movie they could yeah. shoot the next Fast and Furious movie, and even in the next year, there's, Todd, there's only like there, 16 main struck. characters that need to be paid tens of billions of dollars. They can knock that out in a weekend. <laughs> yeah, but but they, you know, that they shot these movies at the same time, and so now they have, um, so or they they were making these movies knowing that they had one another. So we have that with sort of the immediate knowledge that that will that next one will be coming in you know, reasonably short amount of time. And so, and I think that's, um, I think that alleviated a sort of my, um, whatever even minor um, criticism or concern I might have, not that I had any particular, I just walked out of it kind of being gobsmacked. So I wasn't, (laughs) I was like, this is all sort of sensory overload anyway. So I was like, I probably need to like catch my breath before they give me the last chapter. (laughs) To and um, it is coming out yeah. it's coming out in March. March. Yeah, not a long, not a long wait. It's a, it's a Back to the Future yeah. slash Matrix style wait. We only had to wait like half a year, so a little longer, but still. Um, to get to more some general questions here, what do you guys think of the performances? We got a lot of characters, we got a lot of voice actors. I do think there are some standouts, but do you guys have any uh, standout performances that that uh, really hit it for you? I mean, I gotta give it up to Daniel Kaluuya. I mean, Spider yeah. Spider Punk is just such a he's a lot of fun in general, but like. <laughs> it's he's just such a great attitude to bring to it and it's 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 addicting like you want so much more of that character and his attitude is just so cool in every single way he he is the mvp the fact that miles can say how are you even cooler under the mask and he can say i was cool all along and that you're like that's not pretentious that just yeah that just adds up to me it's (laughs) impressive (laughs) for for both an animation style standpoint and yeah what kalili is bringing to to hobie to to the voice to the to the action I'll say I thought I thought Haley Steinfeld is just like yes. unbelievable in this. Like, and you know, Zachy, you were talking about how emotional those scenes are between Miles and and his mom or his you know aunt, uh, mm-hmm. I guess or whatever her role. Uh, forgive me, I don't. You know, it's like yeah, in those in you're, alternate, yeah. You know, you're absolutely right about that. But like Haley Steinfeld, like the way what she goes through throughout this movie and in terms of the interactions that she has and her navigating this relationship with her father and like these other feelings like it's you know i mean i think it's that opening narration on the drums like immediately Mm -hmm. like holy shit like this this character's going through some shit like whoa yeah i mean she's just like kind of unbelievably good and i like i really really enjoyed her um and you know i mean like 
I, I feel like Oscar Isaac is, I think he's very good. I think also like that's a, it's, it's a little bit of a, a sort of a, a, a good character and also a thankless one where you're kind of like, yeah, you got to be the hard ass guy, you know? Um, and, you know, I did not that I did, actually did an interview with him, but like him, he had described the character as like the only Spider-Man who has, does not have a sense of humor, which makes it funny. And like, I kind of like, I think he vibes that out in the right way. And I think, you know, I think he's great, but I'll, you know, like it's, um, uh, like I said, I, I would agree that, um, I think that uh, Kaluuya is like unbelievably good and I loved him, but I, I like Haley Steinfeld so much to me is like sort of the, the, the emotional through line of this movie, even more so than Miles Morales, because I think he's sort of, she's further ahead than him in this, you know, emotional journey. And she's going through it in a more volatile way, in a more self, more aware way than, than Miles Morales is. And I think she plays that really beautifully. Zachy, I want to hear yours, but just before I get too far away from it, with Oscar, with Miguel O'Hara, what something I really liked in the first film was that whenever the Prowler emerged on screen, Daniel Pemberton's score like had like a riff that yes. went with mm-hmm. the Prowler, and this ha- it has the similar thing for Miguel's character too. Whenever he appears, there's this kind of this musical tone that it takes to indicate he's on the scene. Now, all of them have that to some extent, but like it's it's so sharp to define like. He's not even as you know the the antagonist of the scene essentially, and I I think that's just something really cool that exists within you know these films as far as how they how they. We'll talk more about the music, I'm sure, because music is very notable. But uh, Zachy, any uh, vocal performances that stood out your way? Well, I'll I'll echo uh, definitely Kalu and and Haley Steinfeld were both uh, really good, but. Uh, you know, I th- I think Oscar Isaac. For me, I I grew up reading Spider Man twenty ninety nine comics. I had almost the whole run, you know, and I really like how, for me, like it it was like yeah, that's what Miguel sounds like. You know what I mean? Like that's the voice that I heard uh-huh. in my head, and I I really I liked the, you know, the way he was written in the comics. You know, Peter David did did most of that run. He 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 was funny, but like he was just he was an asshole like that was <laughs> you know like like P- peter spider-man is snarky and sarcastic but he's just kind of a dick and that's what made him funny and he he i i like this uh characterization of miguel as a progression from that because he's you know he's a little bit further along than sure. where those comic books had him and i i really so i was like man i i, I remember when it ended i was like i hope people don't think miguel O'Hare is a bad guy you know like i i hope there's something when this whole story is wrapped up where we get a sense of like no he he's you know he's he's he has a point that... he has a point of view exactly yeah. you know um uh, and i just and i want to echo what i myself said earlier brian tyree henry lauren luna Valenz, so good like that yeah. that speech the speech that brian tyree henry gives at the beginning uh, when when Miles isn't there, I mean, I was getting choked up just with that, you know, because you're like, oh, I kind of know what the arc of this movie might be leading towards, you know. It was great. Yeah, that those are going to be my shout outs too, given the fact that we've already pointed out so many, you know, very talented people in here. But yeah, Brian Terry, Henry, and Little Laura Bellas, I think I think they're just so great as the as the parents here, and in a series where like yeah, like your Aunt May's and your Ben Parker's certainly like have a role to play in various Spider-Man films, and are generally pretty effective. You know, this is that iteration of it, you know, just with, you know, an actual mother and father for Miles. And yeah, I think they're entirely effective. They're a great, like, they're a great extension of Miles as far as, like, what we are supposed to see from him and, like, how others are viewing it. Like, it's just, it's really, it's really well done. It, you know, you have 
it's not even safe to say veteran actors because like Brian Tyree Henry is not much older than most of the other characters here either. Um, but like he's got an Academy Award nomination under his belt now. So that's I mean. very true. Um, and good for him. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think they 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 certainly. I like how much how for again a movie like this that's so big. I do like that it has so many so much time to spend being like let's just have two characters talk in a room for a while and it does that very really effectively. Yeah. Um, the other one I want to point out, I think Jason Schwartzman is not only fun as the oh, spot, yeah. but I really love like how I, I, like the the evolution of him to to growing in stature and power and seeing that like turn him into something else. And we haven't even seen the full extent of that as of yet. But I, I like what I like what he's doing here. I like what he's starting out as and how that's, you know, turning towards a certain angle, which is not something it's not it's not unfamiliar to when it comes especially when it comes to comic book supervillains. Uh, but I do like what he's doing here. Well, even stylistically, there is a sure. duality, which uh-huh. is like, I mean, he is such a goofy, weird, like cow villain at the, when you first meet him. And like you have that Jason Schwartzman comic sensibility. But then honestly, literally as soon as his color, his color scheme sw- swaps, as soon as he goes from being uh, uh, white with black spots to being black with white like areas, then like the entire like tenor of the like performance changes and he becomes legitimately scary. Like, and obviously in the style and like the that kind of uh, pencil uh, drawing uh, aesthetic helps mm-hmm. that a lot because it is just unnerving to see it within the, how explosive and vibrant everything else is to see something so stark and like high contrast. It's, it's unsettling for the mind and obviously just an incredible skill of the animators uh, on display. But uh, but yeah, his performance backs that up entirely. Speaking of villains, and this is something that I just it occurred to me while watching this movie. And Zach, you know this. Aviarad is not my favorite person involved in the Spider-Man <laughs> universe. Um, I, I find him to be Spider-Man's greatest villain, and I do I I do find it hilarious that this is a, like that's a guy who comes from a you know a toy background. And the fact that this movie has so many Spider-Man movies, I just like to think that like part of the idea was let's just make Avi shut up by giving him all these Spider-Mans he can deal with <laughs> and all the toys possible. So there's no argument there. There's no notes that need to be taken because, hey, we got everybody. Everybody's <laughs> yeah, in this toys for days. Uh, that amused me plenty. But speaking of, there's a lot of spider people in this movie. <laughs> um, yeah. Were there any uh, any standouts, any, any fun like Easter like this movie's? I don't think any the four between the four of us. I don't think we've all discovered all the Easter eggs in this movie. But there were any uh, notable things where you're like, I can't believe they threw that in here. I mean, I love the presentation of Scarlet Spider uh, by Andy Samberg. It was just very, (laughs) very much hit on that kind of moody '90s comics uh, vibe that just that is perfectly uh, perfect for that character. Uh, but I mean, I mean, there's just I mean, there's so many crazy ones. And I mean, Peter parked car, uh, you got Spider <laughs> Cat, you got the horse. I mean, it really is just yeah, that's that's an endless list. I definitely I, uh, loved. I, um, sorry, go ahead, Zach. You go. No, go uh, ahead. Just, just real quick, I I loved that they threw in um, the spectacular Spider-Man from the animated series, which sure. is yeah. like <laughs> probably the very best animated Spider-Man they've ever had, other than th- these movies. So I like the symmetry of that yeah i i mean you know listen anytime they bring in the 67 spider-man that's like my (laughs) shit that is my shit um and so i was extremely happy to see that and like just the way that they brought in him like for one 
shot basically just and he's like oh i'm here and they're like oh no that's not right you know whatever like uh, i thought that was i thought that was really good and you know i mean they just i mean as you said you know it's like there's so many things to discover um and i like ahead of the movie researched it a bit and i was like looking at the other ones that showed up here and that you know like that supposedly were in the movie i mean this was like before the movie came out and I was just like, man, I was like the fact that they're like trying to bring in all these like weird, you know, random different versions to me was like, I just loved it, you know. And then and then on top of it, you know, I mean, you were said we were going to talk about the music, so I know we will. But like they got Metro Boomin to produce the soundtrack and then they were like, you know what, we'll give him some lines. And so he's the guy who's like. He's got nowhere to go. I guess he did have somewhere to go. I like, was gonna, yeah, I was gonna was... ask. I was gonna ask who that was if anyone knew because I asked. yeah, <laughs> so that, I'm glad that's, to know that, now. that that's a really funny yeah. That, that character is called like Metro Spider, and mm-hmm. I, you know, and he told I was able to interview him about doing the soundtrack, and he talked to he was like, yeah, they 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 just said come in an hour early before we're gonna screen the movie and we'll do some lines. And they gave him a bunch of different lines. He said, everybody laughed at that. He was like, I, I don't know if it'll go in or not. And then, of course, it did. But uh, but it's it's I think it's a great moment in the movie. I do want to get to the music um, since we have talked about it so far. Yeah. And I, I have a question for you, Todd, because you you're better versed in the in the world of music than than I am, for sure. Metro Boomin, he's a producer on this sound like every track involves him in some way. And yeah. Compared to the first film, which is more just a collection of songs, and I really like that. For I listen to that soundtrack all the time. I really like the soundtrack too. I'm curious when something like that happens for a soundtrack or whatever, like for the soundtrack, I guess. Would you consider that a concept album? Does that fall in that realm? Um, you know, I mean, I think it just depends. I mean, because you know, clearly, like, uh, you know, Kendrick Lamar curated the first soundtrack to Black Panther, yeah. and you know. And Beyonce worked on the soundtrack to Lion King. I think and, of like Rizzo know, with Ghost Dog. Yeah, you know, and I mean, like it. I think, I think they're. I mean, I guess technically they would count as a concept album, but I mean, like you know, I I would say based on the experience that I have in speaking, at least in in this specific case, you know, it seems like they would go, all right, we'll bring in these artists and they work on stuff and they create a good track and then they're like, is there are there ways that we can tweak this to make this more more spider-like you know and so it's sort of like a meeting uh, in the middle of like you know coming up with something explicitly for a spider-man movie and in some cases i don't think they were like we're looking for you know nope they're not going to repeat the success of sunflower which was like 17 times platinum or something like that you know the first (laughs) you know it's like they're not they don't think they're going to do that but i think what they're doing is they're like what we want to do is create something that that matches the emotional vibe of the first one and um you know i it's funny because i like listened to the whole soundtrack and then i watched the movie and i was like trying to piece together the songs that i heard on the soundtrack with what i saw in the movie i'm like when was this song where where was that and what's this and that you know mm-hmm. and uh and i think they do a really good job but the thing is that you know you can't watch this movie and the first one for that matter and see how much work daniel pemberton did in creating all of those themes and then like weaving it together in this like kind of amazing mixtape like way because like the first movie has um the black alicious song chemical calisthenics which is like such a good song but it's also it's that scene where he you know first is at that school and yeah and you know meets gwen and and like 
the thing about that song is that it goes and it speeds up and slows down and all this other stuff. And you're like, that kind of makes it perfect for a movie. But that was a song that existed from the nineties. And then conversely, you know, like you're watching them like mix things together and, and all this stuff in both of the films and how they're able to do that musically, not only reinforces all the, you know, sort of leap motifs of, of the, of the score, but it also just feeds right into the fact that, this movie is kind of this raw, unfiltered perspective of like these teenagers and how that's the stuff they would be like a kid would be listening to Metro Boomin and a kid would be listening to hip hop and probably put all these songs together that they're into. And it really just sort of feeds that perspective to give you that much more authenticity, in my opinion, of the characters and what they're what they're going through. I certainly think it's a great compliment to a film that's so ambitious visually in terms of blending so many things together. It speaks to what the music's doing as well. Like everybody seems to be on the same page in that regard, which is nothing short of impressive given just how good this movie looks and sounds. Uh, I know Todd's certainly versed in this stuff and has plenty to say. Do you guys have anything to add as far as the, the sound of this film? I think he said it all. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, fair enough. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I apologize. I, it's all right. No, no, it's great. <laughs> um, um, I, I will. I will say, you know, J- Jermaine was razzing me beforehand because he knows that, like, if I feel like a, a needle drop is too obvious, like it really like bugs me. Sure. And you know, and I rewatched the Super Mario movie then. <laughs> yeah, well, I which I did, which I did not see, but I, but I, you know, I, when I rewatched the first one, I they played, you know, they put hypnotize in the first film, but they also, like I said, they use chemical calisthenics, which is not a obvious needle drop. And then for this movie, the needle drops that I wrote down were there's a Rakim song from his like comeback album, which is like really good. And it's like a perfect song for the movie. And then they use this Bobby Blue Bland um, blues song, which was sampled by Jay-Z for Ain't No Love in the Heart of the City. And I was like, these are really just like they're it's it's not i mean they're known so it's like they're identifiable it's not like you know as a person if you listen to hip-hop these are things that you probably will recognize but like the choices that they're making are actually like incredibly smart and they're not just like trying to fill us a moment in the movie with some music and to me like even if it is something that's like when you have hypnotized or whatever it is in the first one like they don't feel like they're just like these kind of like pat formulaic um choices as much as they are like really trying to be uh, to exemplify the vibe of the scene like there's a label are... pushing a song on the studio or something like exactly that. exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. i always yeah. i always feel good when the when a movie feels like it's the definitive use of the of that song sure. uh, when it comes to like making 100%. certain choices like it, it come it came to mind when it weirdly came to mind a lot when Guardians was first coming out and hooked on a feeling. And I'm just thinking, that's Reservoir Dog song. <laughs> that's yeah. I, I, I I like this song, and I and I'm glad that Come and Get Your Love seemed to be like the one that took over for Guardians. But it's like hooked on a feeling. That's the song I know for Reservoir Dogs. Period. Um, yeah. So like when you have movies that kind of define the use of certain tracks, that is very and like Sunflowers, like never going to go away in that regard when it comes to like Spider Man. Um, but I think I think you're absolutely right. Guardians is a is a as as a series of movies to me like i i actually like the music and in, in the new one as well but I do like the first two the first two movies very much to me i'm like i think this all works in the movie and i think the movies are good i'm not trying to denigrate them but i will say that like so many of the music choices i'm like these are from other movies and they're also from a lot of like somebody gave me a hard time about this once i'm like i kind of feel like 
if you have a song that was on the Days and Confused soundtrack, <laughs> you kind of can't use it in another movie again, unless you are like straight up. I mean, like unless you are a Quentin Tarantino who's literally going to take the fucking music from Cat People and put it in Inglorious Bastards <laughs> and make it a completely new and amazing uh -huh. context. I'm like, you have to one have you know giant balls, but also to like pull it off and that to me is like the only time you could do that kind of thing and i feel like right now i feel like music supervision is in like kind of like a weird low place generally speaking but but um but you know i i think that what they do in these movies is really smart and really good i mean mario i was gonna say Mar mario brothers aside i feel like it's coming back <laughs> up compared to like 2012 when avengers comes out and it has like the most random set of b of like b-side alt rock songs on the soundtrack it's like who yeah, are yeah, yeah. <laughs> like what, what are these <laughs> i don't want to derail the conversation but i will say one of the weirder things about like this year was uh when uh cocaine bear opened up with that jefferson starship uh-huh uh-huh uh was it with banks <laughs> was in wet hot american summer which is just its own weirdness but yeah same point yeah yeah um I have other questions, but I'm trying. Is there any any other topic specifically about across Spider Verse that we can get in? I mean, we haven't talked really about the action that much at all. I mean, there's a lot of action in this movie. Um, I don't know what else to say beyond. Isn't it crazy how cool it is? Uh, but you guys, any thoughts on the the I mean, Spider it's action? Kind of what here? I was saying earlier is that I mean, it's kind of amazing that the action really does take a backseat to the emotion and the true, characters true. and yeah. the ideas. Like it's it's not something you expect from a spider-man movie and again the action is incredible but it's just it isn't what comes first to mind when you're thinking about this experience so and i'll and to to add to that which i agree with is that like the 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 emotion is always driving the action yeah yeah it's not it's not an action scene that is interrupted by action like for example the idea of him escaping going around and you know and getting chased by all the spider-man as he gets on this bullet train to space or whatever you know like like all this stuff is like what you're watching is him exploring his feelings and this is being manifested in this chase and how this is happening it's not like well we've defined what the conflict is and so now we're going to have a huge action scene and then we'll go back to the emotion it's all feeding the the resolution of the feelings that the characters are having and i think that's what really makes it feel um not insignificant but it makes it feel so cohesive and and organic to all of the other parts of the movie so you so it's you're not watching you know again it's not like oh, okay well we've decided to turn to the cgi reel now and we're going to watch that for the next five or six minutes and then we'll yeah. go back to watching Haley steinfeld and you know shimmy Gore and, and the other folks act it's yeah. like all that stuff happening at the same time. It reminds me of what I wanted to say. It also, and to speak to that point, I through, through that sequence, it all it shows me a lot of what it, it shows me how great Miles is at being this person. As far as he's in a foreign world and he has everyone chasing him, and he has to basically improv his way through that while still collecting ideas for a plan that he has in mind. Like that's that speaks to just how strong the character is in my eyes. But also, when it comes to these sequels, specifically Spider-Man sequels, so many so much of the time is dedicated to how tough it is for Spider-Man and whether or not they still want to be Spider-Man or Spider-Woman. Yeah. Okay. What I like in this movie is yes, it's a task to do this thing, but these characters generally love being Spider-Man. There's yeah. no one that's like, I'm giving it up in this movie. Like everyone wants to do this, which felt like such a, a relief 
in comparison to other Spider-Man films where it's like, I'm, I'm, and that's not to speak of those films as like, as if they're bad, but you know, we're what nine Spider-Man films in at this point, something like that. That that is kind of ultimately what is so cool about Miles Morales in general, which is just Mm -hmm. when he was introduced, he is kind of the anti Peter Parker in that like, he has a loving set of parents. Constant state of wonder for this stuff. He, he he was lucky. He was lucky enough to be accepted into this prestigious, uh, like, uh, private school. He gets incredibly good grades. He's incredibly popular, and all of a sudden, he has the burden of being Spider-Man. Like, being Spider-Man is not something he asked for in any way, and, and and like, if anything, it just kind of makes his life harder. But like, it is such a contrast to the journey of Peter Parker, who is just nothing but constant hard luck, who ha- then has the responsibility of being Spider-Man on top of it, and just kind of that clash just kind of even i love that that is something that kind of is in its own way represented in across the spider-verse i think yeah Yeah, and there's a i think there's a not necessarily we need to get into it there's like a deeper conversation as far as the backgrounds of these two characters and why it is that one person can easily accept something like this an opportunity and wanting to work hard in a way that's frankly you have to work harder to be accepted in certain realms where another character is gifted privilege and deals with the the what he would consider the burden of it and what it limits in what what limits it places on his life and that's not to say that peter parker is a horrible character or anything like that but i do think that it it reflects the kind of writing that go comes that comes with the territory when you're dealing with these kinds of people mm-hmm. why are you saying that peter parker is a horrible character i don't i don't agree with that <laughs> I, I mean, he. We know what he did with that bus full of children that Green Goblin was holding. <laughs> he made his choice. Um, I have a before we wrap up on the review portion of this. I do have a question. Um, how can other studios learn from this film? I mean, I have my opinion, but you guys start by all means. Zach, why don't you take a go first? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm thinking it's like I feel like they're gonna uh, learn a lot of the wrong lessons. I mean, oh, this one. Sure. Yeah, I I mean, to me, to me, the most obvious lesson to take is that there is a market, there is a wide audience for animated superheroes uh, that can be wacky, but that that um, treat the characters and situations seriously. I mean, I, I honestly, with both of these movies, what makes them work is that we buy the 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 pathos of Miles's. Uh, specific situation and the, and the uh, there's emotional realism and I think I think there's room for whether we're talking about X Men or you know whatever DC stuff you know I mean uh, you know like like even even the when you think about it DC has been making great animation going back thirty years I, I mean when you look at uh, Batman the animated series what they did thirty years ago I mean they they didn't talk down to their audience right and that says something about the fact that thirty years later people still watch that show those episodes right and i feel like batman you know mask of the phantasm tanked and ever since they were like oh we don't want to risk that again and it's like take the risk it's worth even it. even though we'll throw batman into up. everything else to make sure it does so it does well right <laughs> that's right <laughs> i will I just I, I in thinking about the question i i think what ultimately is stymieing me is that like really what studios should learn from this movie is that like you don't have to follow any patterns or rules or anything like that like there's so much that is unconventional about this film 
that it almost feels antithetical to like take anything specific away from it and apply it to the making of other movies. Cause what makes it so special is how like the choices that it makes are, at every single turn are so different than what most movies would do. So like you almost don't want studios. The, the only thing you kind of want studios to learn from it is just like allow for like creative anarchy because you get magical results that way. You're saying I mean, don't fire Lord and Miller and hire Ron Howard. Is that for example? Is, yes, is that, yes, yes. Ron Howard's great. Love Ron Howard, but I mean, like I. But uh, yeah, I am eternally fascinated to know what their solo movie would have been. Like I think that is going to be forever one of the big, like, major pop culture questions. I I'm fascinated in, in myself. So. What you're what you're also saying is it's bio digital jazz, man. That's what you got to do. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sure. All right. Well, let's not say anything about Tron Legacy we can't take back. Hey, I like Tron Legacy. I, well, I will turn this podcast around and, and take us all home. So let's. Be and I careful. will say one of my favorite moments of the week was that Jeff Bridges joke. Uh, oh, so good. HR roundtable. So yes. Yeah. So good. Um, you had I thoughts? Just, on... I, yeah. Well, only only that I would uh, you know mostly sort of agreeing with what Eric was saying, which is that one I think that I, I think that the the you know sort of formal audacity of this movie in terms of its storytelling um you know creativity i think is something that um that if we i think a lot of a lot of filmmakers have mistaken the idea of of catering to nostalgia as the same thing for deconstructing superhero mythology and I think this is a movie that um, is very satisfying in all the ways that a Spider-Man movie should be satisfying while also really analyzing the idea of storytelling. Now, I don't think every movie should be about storytelling or deconstruct a superhero movie. And I think that you should just have straightforward superhero stories. But I think the idea of having people who are are interested, and I think this is something that they've learned. They started learning back when Guardians came out. Um, you know, in terms of live action was that like when we let someone take a more irreverent swing at, you know, sort of the superhero mythos that we are now making the 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 foundation of our entertainment offerings, I think that you end up with far more interesting results than, you know, a generic um, sort of payoff to somebody waiting to see their character at the center of a story and so you end up getting you know and so you end up getting something like the guardians movies instead of uh with all due respect i you know a movie like um black widow which is to me like kind of just like noisy and loud and it's okay I, like i don't think it's a terrible movie or anything but i but like to me it's very mechanical and in, in what it's doing whereas like i'm watching you know this movie and i'm like i love like all the risks that it takes i love the idea that the filmmakers realize that you don't even have to have like the same you know image and you can like it's not like they're like once they have the peep the characters there they can do whatever they want with the colors they can do whatever they want with the the dimensionality and all these other things that are that are like a a, a literal like as a filmmaking as a as a medium an experiment but then on top of that, you're watching like really audacious, really creative storytelling. And I think that like, um, you know, it takes people who are talented enough to pull it off. And, you know, when you have and I don't think that it's just a matter as much as I love uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller. I think that it is like a team of people who are really, sure. really all working in like a beautiful, like very dedicated concert with one another to deliver something as opposed to 
well, what we've done is we've told it, we've come up with a really good story. And now we just need to get these people to come in and bring some humor. And then we just need to get these people to come in and bring some action. And we need to get these people in to do this. It's you really feel like everyone is working on this. Like I, that was another thing about this movie that really knocked me out was that I felt like as I was watching it, I could see every single person who worked on it in the movie, like in just like that somebody did. This was really a, such a team effort of all these people and they were all working towards the same thing. And that didn't mean that they were all doing the same thing. It meant that they were all working towards the same goal and it made it feel cohesive and beautiful in a way that most movies live action or animated don't feel because of every choice was serving every other choice and and to me like that's also a thing that i think that like studios in general could take a real lesson from is that like you know we have too many people serving too many individual masters and it comes at mm. the expense and then you know and then instead of uh, across the spider verse you end up with a movie like Jane Campion's in the cut, which is, I guarantee, the only time that that comparison will ever be made. Um, yes, but no, I mean, I'm saying it's a joke, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah, the yeah. idea that, you know, there's not like a distributor going, you know, this is really sexy, but we need it to be, have more heart, or we need it to be this. It's like, everybody has to be on the same page. And when you watch this movie, I don't think you can say there was anybody who was not on the same page with one another when they were making it. And I think that is mm -hmm. a testament to, you know, the cohesiveness of the movie and why it will achieve a different and better kind of longevity than most of the superhero live action and animated superhero movies that, with which it shares company. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with anything that any of you guys have said, as far as what we can do, we, what studios can do to, to, to satisfy us in ways that go beyond just the expected and I, I think my, you know, my answer boils down to, yeah, experiment more, especially at a time when you're being tossed hundreds of millions of dollars to do something that will seemingly guarantee you a certain uh, uh, to reach a certain level where it's like you've already earned it. So it's not like you the risk is like going to throw you off too much if it takes a bit of a dive or what have you. And yes, no one likes to hear that necessarily. But regardless, the results speak for themselves when it comes to what it is that we're praising or still holding in the conversation versus what we're not talking about anymore. And I'm glad to see that, you know, films like, as you mentioned, The Bad Guys and Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, they seem to have taken some lessons from Into the Spider-Verse as far as just doing something different with animation, especially DreamWorks, a studio yeah, that... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the upcoming Teenage Mutant Turtles oh, yeah. looks great in that regard, and I'm looking forward yeah. to it. But, like, DreamWorks is a studio that's been... And Pixar is getting that way, too, as far as being kind of stuck with the designs they have. And, yes, every now and then they kind of tweak things a little bit or what have you. And that's not to say DreamWorks films are by default bad or any studio by films are by default bad, but it's not dissimilar from the MCU as far as the formula is there. And I can look at a certain movies and just see like, I know what I'm getting out of this and whether or not I'm entertained in the moment. I don't know what the, you know, where, what, what does that mean to me in the long run? And ideally you want your studios to have or your movies to have a lasting power. So like seeing, yes, yeah, seeing the bad guys or seeing Puss in Boots, seeing them embrace bold animation choices that just feel like they're deliberately trying to shake up the norm just by trying something else. That's inspiring to me. You know what movie I'll also throw in this conversation yeah. that like should have, I wish like kind of got this going over a decade ago is Rango, which Rango's, I yeah. love that movie so much and it is so weird and different. Uh -huh. 
and like and yet nothing like it has come out since then and especially for i think it was like is nickelodeon movies or something it's a nickelodeon movie and it's gore verbinski being like i got all this pirates cachet let me let me put it into this existential chameleon movie like it's amazing i I love rango (laughs) no you're not wrong and that's what i'm saying like experiment like it won the oscar yeah exactly (laughs) and and you know the thing is that it's it's remarkable and i think that there this is reflected in so many of the choices we make on a daily basis now in general but also in the entertainment we consume how quickly audiences adapt to these sort of new changes yeah and you know when this when the first one of these movies came out i was like this this is like like blowing my mind like i rewatched it earlier this week in anticipation of watching the new one and this one as we said earlier i think zachy said it it's like it really does like absolutely like raise even your expectations from the first film when you're watching it mm-hmm. and the idea that like you know we've watched in the last couple of years we watched this then we watched you know um uh mitchell's versus the machines and these yeah. movies where you're like are they they animated it digitally and then after that they went back and like scribbled all over that's fucking crazy and also cool you know and so we've gotten the idea and and the fact that you know it's abundantly clear like when you watch puss in boots like they did that movie and they were like oh damn we done fucked up and they and they went and they like <laughs> went back and redid it so that it was much more like this movie because essentially that movie instantly changed the landscape of what film feature animation could be and you know and and i think that like we are now in a place where like it should be whether or not it is encouraged to take risks. Like when you look at the trailer, like I saw the trailer for elemental and I'm like, this looks like a movie that they made in 2003. I mean, like I, you know, with all due respect for Pixar, who I just don't have, I no longer have any strong feelings for one way or the other. I was like looking at that. I'm like, I'm guaranteed that that was an insane amount of work and it's beautiful. And it's got all this ambition and all this other stuff. And yet I watched the trailer for it and I was like, eh, like I just was not vibing on it at all and it's not because the movie as far as I know again I haven't seen it I was like it's not because I think that it like isn't going to formally reinvent animation as we know it it's because when I'm looking at it it still looks to me like a fairly conventional animated movie um in terms of visuals which does not inspire altogether much confidence from me that it will be in its storytelling that that ambitious and so i think that we've like really hit this place where like the studios have to are going to have to some in some way be reactive to the fact that what audiences not only accept but are embracing with increasing affection and passion is this stuff that's really like breaking all of the formulaic approaches that we've seen over the last 10 or 15 or 20 or 50 years well with all that in mind i'm glad that we think (laughs) spider-man across the spider-verse is at least decent Uh, i want to (laughs) ask when should people go and see this movie zachy when should people go and see spider-man across the spider-verse Oh man, go see it. Go see it on a big. Go see it on an IMAX screen. You know, um, uh, and and I'll just add one other thing. I I you know there's there's especially with like a lot of recent Marvel stuff. It's like oh we got to see it quick before like all the Easter eggs are spoiled for you, right? And and I love that with this. Yeah, the Easter eggs are nice and fun, but it, like that's not the reason to go see it. You go, you want to go see it because you're gonna experience it. You're gonna feel. Uh, you're, you're gonna you're gonna feel something, and that's just that's just refreshing from from these sort of big four quadrant entertainments like this eric when should people see this movie see it immediately because the sooner you see it the sooner you can see it again (laughs) todd 
Spoken like a true Marvel sellout shill, Eric. <laughs> I can't believe it. Uh, I hope that check. I hope that check really cleared. No, um, no. I like tr- truly, truly. The thing for me was is that like I think you should see it. Um, definitely on the big screen, and and partially because of uh, you know the, the, the this the volume of material that you will be pumping into your body when you watch it will require you to see it on the biggest screen possible. I mean, like, that's mm-hmm. the thing. It's like, it, it, I mean, to some extent, it will be a thing where you'll watch it and you'll see, because, like, mm-hmm. I was sitting there and I point over on the corner, like, Jermaine and I watch it, and I point over to something, and there's, like, a little live action thing that was, like, in the corner of one shot. And afterward, he was like, what was that? And I'm like, I don't even remember now. Like, it was, but it was <laughs> so, but the thing is that, like, watching that on a small screen will not have the same impact, but also, it's just like you're looking at this enormous canvas and you need it to be able to just even begin to process the amount of work that went into it and the amount of stuff that you're going to be absorbing in the emotionality and the story and the creative, um, you know, sort of brilliance of this movie. So I say, you know, on the biggest screen possible as soon as possible. Um, And Marvel is great and I love them. That's the other thing. and, and, And Sony Pictures Animation and they're my best friends, and they fixed my car and cleaned up my skin. So, you know, I, I definitely was not paid for that um, endorsement. Yes, that's right. <laughs> um, yeah, you're not going to find me dissenting in any way. This movie is fantastic. Go see it. See it twice. See it in IMAX. See it in all the formats. It's what's wonderful. And the more you see it, the, uh, the the more chances will be like, hey, other studios might take the right notes, and we'll see where it goes from there. The um, better yeah. your life will be, is what you're saying. You, yeah, pretty much. Everyone's life will achieve a utopia, a, a, a perfect human society as a result of the more people seeing this in theaters, the, the better. Yeah, Earth 777. Yeah. Yes. Um, all right. <laughs> so with all that out of the way, we still have time for a little thing called games. That is, of course, the improv theme for games. And I have a game for you guys this week. It is called Caught in the Sweb, a Spider-Verse game. What I'm going to do, um, all of the answers pertain to actors who have portrayed Spider-Man. And I'm going to read you a quote from a movie. If you can identify the movie, uh, you know, say your name and the answer. Um, if you cannot if get it from the quote alone, I also have the tagline for said movie. So I have basically two hints here. But the quotes are more fun, so I'm going to do those first. So, title, not actor. Yeah, the title. But uh, every, all the answers. The answers are the title that. of the movie. Yes, the answers correspond to an actor that's played Spider-Man. Gotcha. So, if you think you know the answers, uh, are all the quotes "I am Spider-Man"? <laughs> With great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> so, if you think you know the answer, say your name, <laughs> and then the answer. All right. Here's the first one. Einstein said, "Time was relative," right? Maybe I'm not late. Maybe you guys are early. Todd. Todd? Uh, into the Spider-Verse. It is Into the Spider-Verse. Sure. And that would be Ocean Meek Moore. Also, yes, the quotes are from the actors that played Spider-Man. Just uh, another detail as well. Okay. They're not just like quotes from the movie that are random. I don't want to type Spider-Man or type. One point is what I meant to type. Okay, next one. <laughs> Pigeons are everywhere, and nobody notices them. It's the most perfect form a spy can take. Uh, Todd, spies in disguise? That that is correct. Spies in in disguise. Because they're up there. Did I say it different? 
I, 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 I only pronounce it spies in disguise because I think it's one of the greatest puns in the history of DreamWorks uh, movies or Blue Sky movies. But, uh, uh, gotcha. Tom Holland, of course, in that film. Here's the next one. I'll be taking these huggies and whatever cash you got. Uh, Todd, uh, raising Arizona. Todd's all over this game, guys. Gotta, gotta get those <laughs> hands on those buzzards. Well, honestly, well, my biggest problem was I just blanked on when Nicolas Cage played Spider-Man. Okay, gotta get my head in the game here. All right, here, here's the next one. There are some places that the road doesn't go in a circle. There are some places where the road keeps going. Uh, uh, Zachy. Zachy. Pleasantville? It is Pleasantville. You're correct. You're on the board. There you go. Hey. Toby McGuire. I haven't watched that in a while. Does that hold up? Yeah, it does. Good. I, I have it. <laughs> I put that on my at the top of my, my pile of movies I'm supposed to watch because uh, I really like that movie. Yeah, I think I, I, I definitely think it holds up. Okay. Next one. All I know is sometimes if there's too many white folks, I get nervous, you know? And now I'll read the quote from the movie. Uh, no, I'm kidding. That's the quote from the movie. <laughs> God damn, Aaron. Jesus. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me on the podcast. I'll see you later, I guess. <laughs> Any guesses? We're going to either read it again. <laughs> yeah, read it again. <laughs> I'll, read the, I'll read the tagline here. Just because you're invited doesn't mean you're welcome. Oh, Eric. Oh, Zachy. Eric, Eric, Eric. Get out. That is get out. That is correct. Daniel Kaluuya. On the board. There we go. Yeah, you got him. That means you get to come back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the amount of guests we've cut because they didn't make it on the game board. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, here's the next one. This is actually a two part quote because it's too good of a thing to pass up. Why did they hang him so high? I don't know. Possibly in belief they'd make him more dead. Eric. Eric. Rip. What? True grit. True grit is the correct answer. That is, of course, Haley Steinfeld. Indeed. And Jeff Bridges. Here's the next one. Sorry, my Prada's at the cleaners along with my hoodie and my fuck you flip-flops, you pretentious douchebag. Eric. Eric. The social network. The, the social network is correct. Love that movie. Of course. Andrew Garfield. Here's the next That's one. That's a brave statement. <laughs> right? Yeah, such a, yeah, no, such a radical take, I know. Holy shit. He doesn't care who he is. <laughs> well, speaking of offensive, here's the next quote. Okay. I am one more black gay kid getting punched in the face away from a nervous breakdown. Eric. 21 Eric? Jump Street. 21 Jump Street is the correct answer. <laughs> that is Jake Johnson as the principal. Jake Johnson. The that line, maybe. Jake Johnson, all the way. You didn't mention him at all, but also no, very not. fun in this movie. Yes. Yeah. 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 We also didn't mention Karen Sony, who was also fantastic. Yeah, Spider Man. Yeah, uh, Mumbatten was really fun to watch. Yeah. I, really, I I like seeing <laughs> that that world and yeah, Karen Sony playing like the the most optimistic you... Spider Man you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, great. He was great. Here's the next one. I don't believe in no win scenarios. Eric. Eric. Star Trek. That is Star Trek with Chris Pine. Yeah, dead Spider Man. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> blonde Parker. That's right. Okay, three more. I thought I was a man. I had a life. People called me Kane, and now I'm not so sure. If I wasn't Kane, what was I? 
Was I you? Were you me? The thing is, the longer you talk, the less I knew it. I don't know how that <laughs> happened, but I can read the tagline as well. Although I'm not sure how helpful it'd be, but it's fear what's inside. Fuck, I know this. Yeah, I think I do too, but I thought I was a man. I had a life. I will say this is a sci-fi film. It is from the last five years, I want to say. Zachy. Zachy? Is it Annihilation? It is Annihilation. There you go. Annihilation with Oscar Isaac. Ah. Mm. Here's the next one. Remember when I kidnapped Bandu and threatened him with great violence? Eric. Eric. Deadpool. Sorry? Deadpool. Deadpool. Incorrect. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Zach, you're top for the steal? Deadpool 2. Zach, you're top for the steal. I got nothing. Uh, Yeah, I don't... If it's not Deadpool... <laughs> I don't get a second time oh, I'm seeing if they want it. I mean, they, they don't seem to get out of the clue there. Well, so it's they're... okay. So, all right, then, Todd, Deadpool 2? It I is Deadpool that. 2. That is correct. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, the tagline I being... I came up with that completely on my own. I, okay. know that. I want everybody to know that for the record. <laughs> the, the tagline, by the way, being from the studio that killed Wolverine, which always makes me laugh. Mm. Um, all right, last one. I guess you followed me. It's one of those infinite time loop situations you might have heard about. Eric. Eric. Palm Springs. It is Palm Springs with Andy Samberg. Andy Samberg. All right. Zach, you did make it on the board and good for you. You were on there a couple times. Todd, you scored second place. But Eric, you jumped in at the end, won the game, won Cotton the Web. Congratulations. (laughs) I'd like to dedicate this to the underseen The Social Network. (laughs) (laughs) they really need some more eyes on it it does (laughs) all right well that was fun i'm glad that that went over well because i took my time making that game finding all those quotes Um, but now let's move on to some now feedback 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 and this is where we go over the various questions answered on our facebook page Facebook.com slash sign podcast. Ask a number of questions to the listeners and they give some answers. Uh, Todd, Zachy, Eric, feel free to throw in any answers you might have as I go through these. But first up here, comics, movies, games, and more. What's your favorite version of Spider-Man? Chris writes for a horror nut has to be Earth's 2049's version. And Jason writes probably Tom Holland's Spider-Man, Toby Spider-Man, the 90s cartoon one, the spectacular Spider-Man, and the PS4 uh, Insomniac Games version of Spider-Man. Do you guys have a favorite variations of Spider-Man? Um, uh, I mean, Tobey Maguire is fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, in, in on the comic side, I you know my sort of sweet spot is from about 1982 to 1992, which encompasses when uh, John Romita Jr. did it and mm-hmm. drew it, yeah. and Ron, uh, Ron Friend, Todd McFarlane, Eric Larson, uh, Mark Bagley, that whole area. And then on the screen, you know, I mentioned Spectacular Spider-Man, which is fantastic. But there, there was a solo uh, animated series which aired concurrently with uh, Amazing Friends, uh, which used the same character models, but it was just Spider-Man, and that's kind of the like 82. my the eighty-two series, yeah, which is yeah. on Disney Plus, and and God, I just love putting that on and watching it. Uh, for me, even now, like that's the voice I hear in my head when I'm reading a Spider-Man comic. That was, that was like really, I just, I just uh, fixated on those at a young age, you know. I'm uh, I'm right there with you. That, that yeah, you know, Spider-Man's Amazing Friends, that and that Incredible Hulk 
comic yep. series that was from then, um, the animated series, and then the 67 Spider-Man. Those are the ones that I loved um, like watching. I, I, Tobey Maguire, I mean, to this day, probably the first Spider-Man is still in my top five superhero movies like that just because i was i was a kid who grew up and spider-man was my favorite superhero and when that movie came out it was like really the fulfillment of every expectation i ever could have had for us for a superhero movie or spider-man movie um i mean i think tom holland is great um you know uh but and I, so I quite enjoy it. And I, I love the new ones too, but, uh, or, or sort of the Spider-Verse movies, but, um, but like, yeah, probably Tobey Maguire would be my number one live action pick. And then, and then, you know, that, uh, Zach, you, you reminded me of that, man, that's just sending me on like a real journey right now. So uh, I'm, I'm, I appreciate that. <laughs> I, um, so I, I grew up and I, my tastes have certainly like changed over time as far as which characters I like most, but like Spider-Man and Batman were my people. But like Batman was my guy when it came to like movies and the cartoons where Spider-Man was the comics that I read. I enjoyed Spider-Man comics. And yeah, Zach, you bringing up like that 82 to 90, like, yeah, that that era is when, when I was obviously much younger. But like I was when I was picking up comics, it'd be from like that zone of that mm-hmm. territory. That's where I was getting comics from. So that's like where my mm-hmm. enjoyment of Spider-Man was coming from, for the most part, from that perspective. Like I certainly watched some of the cartoons or what have you. Uh, but like that was how I viewed Spider-Man is coming from like that zone of comic books. Now, Toby, um, that I really like, I just Sam Raimi's sensibilities mapped onto Spider-Man just really does it for me. So that's always been like mm-hmm. a trip for me as far as seeing that be realized. Um, but that, that honestly, like Bendis's run with miles. I was literally like, about to say that, it's yeah. so like, I think part of it's because it's just such a like a, a you know a divergent path to take. So I'm just really into it. But I also just think it's good writing. Like and it just I mean, it's not cool. only is it good writing, but it, it's amazing how it's able to pull off. Like you would think that like it would be tired to just redo Peter Parker's origin story uh-huh. in, in an alternate universe. But Ultimate Spider-Man that run is remarkable. It is so well done. And and then and and leading into the Miles Morales stuff, it's excellent too. Yeah. So. So. Yeah, all, all of Ultimate Spider-Man, I absolutely love. And I'll say this, as much as I, you know, really like the main characters of Into the Spider-Verse and, and, and Sp- across the Spider-Verse, I mentioned it in the game, but I really like Chris Pine's Spider-Man for like the five minutes that we get of him. Th- just <laughs> there's something that feels so lived in about what he's saying in those moments as like far as how aware he is of himself at that point that I just think really clicks to the point where, yeah, when I watched, when I rewatched Into the Spider-Verse again, it's like, I've known this character for all of five minutes, but I get sad that he's dead. Like I don't, it's upsetting that like this guy has given his life to being Spider-Man. So like, that's a, that's a credit to Chris Pine and the writing, but just his vocal performance in the few minutes that he's in that movie, I think it's just really good. Anyway. (laughs) Next. Can I I add actually just one, one thing I, I just recently rewatched the um, the pilot movie from the 1970s TV series. And and uh-huh. it's not it's not good. I'm not going to defend it as as a good depiction of Spider Man. But I I think Nicholas Hammond is a great Peter Parker, and I feel okay. like it's it's a darn shame that in some form the the whether the you know the animated or you know the the Spider Verse stuff or even No Way Home something that just kind of acknowledges that this guy was there, and and he was a really great. Peter Parker, you know, I just think it's a shame. I wish, I wish there would be like a, a Hammond Sans or whatever we call it. <laughs> Hammond Sans, <laughs> yeah. 
I think he's, I I don't know if he actually was in it, but I, I, you know, if you look at the, the Wikipedia page for across the Spider-Verse, there's like a list of Uh spider, spider people. And he is one of, at least that character is one of the Mm -hmm. ones that's in there. So um, who knows, you know, and he did, I mean, he did get a minor Renaissance when he was, uh, uh, what's it? Sam Wanamaker in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So that was uh, lovely to see. And I love to see that. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah. All right. Next question: Who would be on your team of spider people? Philip writes, "Spider movie podcaster who could give me something fun to listen to while I'm doing mundane tasks." And <laughs> Maxwell Haddad writes, "Spider David Bowie and Spider Pete Alonso." <laughs> <laughs> Not the kind of answers I was expecting to this question, but any, <laughs> any, anyone you have, have on your team of spider people? I mean, I I, I just want to hang out with Hobie. So does that count? <laughs> Sure. Yes, put him in. Yeah, I'll go with that. <laughs> I would say, um, you know, in my daily life, spider transcriptionist, um, who could, <laughs> you know, transcribe all my interviews. That'd be great. Um, you Spike know, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, no, I mean, like the truth is that I probably would love to. That's why why I really want to watch the new one. I want to go through and I want to like pick out like my five favorite of all the spider people because there were just so many that even were you know in passing these sort of one joke spider yeah. people where i was like oh man i know that that's one that i would really enjoy or like or whatever and i didn't get to i was focused on other things and i was watching it so i didn't get to compile huh. that list just I, yet i love how it's all like stuff that exists i mean for the i think there's probably a few that are just like hey we threw this in here but like i love that it's stuff that's within the realm of spider-man in the same way that like the Lego Batman movie lists like all of those villains from Batman and they're all real, <laughs> which is, <Right>. yeah, <laughs> they get more and more outlandish, but it's like, no, these, these happened. There was, there was condiment King. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Next question. Spider-Man has a huge rogue, speaking of villains, huge rogues gallery. Which of his villains is the most bizarre? Todd Lieben, our friend of the show writes the wall, a character that first appeared with Spider-Man on the seventies PBS kid show, the electric company. And Jason, oh, video... company. I used to love that. Oh man, Jason has Video Man from Spider Man and His Amazing Friends. Also, Colonel Jupiter from Spectacular Spider Man. the movie with John Jameson, who got superpowers after going into space and drove him crazy. I like the deep cuts we're getting for some of these answers, guys. This is good. <laughs> Any bizarre? Did he villains? go crazy? Or I thought he became a wolf. I thought it was like a werewolf. man, man wolf, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. One of those creative names they came up with. What do we call him? Man wolf. What? Why not? All right, it's lunch. Let's go. <laughs> hey, let's go with that. That's fine. Man needs this in the printer by sex. Yeah. Any any the, b- the, super bizarre characters you really the, like? From there was a there was a character in uh, gosh maybe like twenty five years ago who was introduced by Paul Jenkins and Mark Buckingham. I think his name is Onomatopoeia. Oh. And and his whole gimmick is Spider Man. Isn't he a Spider-Man villain? I'm pretty know, sure. Like, didn't like Kevin Smith, right? Kevin like Smith a, ba- a Batman on a P- on yeah. a Monopia character. Oh, okay. Maybe I'm maybe I'm mixing him up. I could have sworn I could have sworn he's a Spider-Man villain. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, there could just be there could be two. That would, that would require me to Google on a Monopia, and I'm not prepared to try to spell that right now, though. So I, mean... uh, I, I think I, yeah, I, I I may be wrong. Sorry about that. <laughs> I could have sworn it was a Spider-Man villain. I'm trying to find it on. Uh... I, I don't, oh, I got it. I got it first try. <laughs> and, uh, do you I don't, you know, 
Uh, well, I was going to say, I don't, you know, like I, you know, I collected comic books basically at the exact same time you guys did. So it was like, I was probably like 86 to 93 or four or something like that. And so I don't revive, I, the, I mean, I remember the, most of the characters that I remember are the mainstays, you know, Rhino and Sandman and stuff like that. But there was a, uh, there were the power records did a Spider-Man uh, uh, story which was about Draco the dragon which was hmm. a a dragon that had like cosmic powers and he fight and, and the thing is that Zaki in the, in the same way that you re- recognize that voice of Spider-Man from the cartoon I yeah. recognize the Spider-Man from this where he's like he just had this like because the guy was of course doing like 14 voices in the same story <laughs> and he's yeah. like yeah he, you, oh so you're also going to do it was like literally everybody except for like um mary mary jane like everybody was the <laughs> same guy and he just had a different slightly different accent but he but i remember draco the dragon and that was one that i that i remember um really, really i mean that was just like that's like tattooed on my on my brain from when i was a kid (laughs) um as as something i listened to but um so let's bring back draco the dragon for um got it across across whatever whatever the last one's called into the infinite i will say i i do think that like the titles of these movies may be common issue because they are so similar like yeah because because people are into across and beyond that's not hard (laughs) I I don't know. I like because you want to I talk about hard. Like, give me like conquest slash battle slash rise of Donna or <laughs> of the planet of the apes. They have of well, the I'm, of the twice in the title. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, that's but that's what I'm saying. I do think like I think that the lay person may have difficulty identifying which one is first, or you know which one comes before the other. I the lay person know. loves the MCU and they're like, I can tell you the complete difference between Quantumania and Ant Man and the Wall. I mean, they know these things. They don't. They're, they're invested enough. All right. Well, I guess I'm wrong. Then. I'm sorry Jesus that you're so Christ. old, Todd. I'm sorry that that's a problem. <laughs> can, can I? By the way, the, the I have the name. It's yeah. not Automatopia. It's Typeface. Oh. Oh. Okay. So his his gimmick is. Oh, he pops uh, up in the type, movie too. Type. He's in the he's in the movie. Is, is he in the in the prison scene? He's in the prison scene. Yeah, he pops okay. up for like a second. Yeah, because he has typeface all over. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's it. Automatopia looks remarkably like the spot. Uh, for one thing, it's, it's that's similar. right. Anyway, it's got a similar look to the, the spot. Uh, my interest tombstone. I just don't get that guy. I don't know. <laughs> I guess he's he's super silver. He's invulnerable. I get it. all right. It's, it's a weird character. <laughs> All like gangster characters that have superpowers are weird to me because it's like you're super, you have superpowers. Why do you need a gang still? Just do your thing. Well, they like they like companionship. I don't know. Um, <laughs> what's the next question here? Um, favorite parental figure from a comic book movie. Jason has Alfred, Jonathan Kent, um, Splinter, Henry Allen, and Aquaman. Uh, hmm. huh? Um, that, that that pretty much covers it, right? That's, I guess. <laughs> There's the only ones left, yeah. Uh, Philip has <laughs> Michael Sullivan in Road to Perdition. Ooh, uh, Todd ha- Todd Levin has Yondu from Guardians. Justin has Uncle Ben, easily Uncle Ben and Aunt May, also Jonathan and Martha Kent. And Chris writes Aunt May and Alfred. They're parental Which, which uh, versions? Because there's so many. Yeah. Uh, the What's his face? Uh, whoever played him in Joker. <laughs> that guy <laughs> wow get off that fence boy 
<laughs> that's his iconic line as <laughs> Alfred a joke favorite uh parental figures in comic movies uh i mean i will say just to throw an offbeat one in there like uh michael keaton as like uh the girlfriend's dad in oh, that good. bit for spider-man <laughs> homecoming makes oh, okay. her quite a scene so yeah um I, well i i have two i'll, I'll say uh, glenn ford's uh jonathan kent yeah yeah uh has i mean yeah. i think you know he's got like five minutes of screen time if that but boy you feel it when he when he has that grabber um and and i i don't know that he gets talked about as much as cliff robertson but i really like martin Sheen as uncle ben i thought i thought he he really did a good job with with what screen time he had yeah i'd agree Rosemary those, Harris those are... in, in Spider-Man 2 specifically. I think she's good in all of them, but she's given some lines in Spider-Man 2 that yeah. I think are just really effective as Aunt May. Uh, I think somewhere she's still giving that goddamn speech about what it means to be a hero. That is one of my least favorite parts of that movie is that like it goes on about twice as long as it needs to. <laughs> That's um, so true. <laughs> it's it, like I, Spider-Man 2 is such a like I have this like love hate relationship with it because of that scene and that fucking cake scene, which I will, which I will go, I will fucking die on that hill. That that scene is. We all needed a break, Todd. We just need to sit down and have some cake. No. no. And pay the rent. Damn it. No. No. I'm furious. I'm. You've made me angry. This. I thought this was about celebrating. Oh, you're as angry as bitch. Just playing around, man. It's bio digital jazz. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favorite parental figure? Is it is it, uh, is it Kevin Costner? Yeah, yeah. It's the uh, don't Dad. save me, so you can learn an important life lesson. I guess um, because uh, everyone no, will I mean, rat one, you out immediately. The 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 ones you guys said were all like I, I kind of Fair. agree with. I don't. I, I don't have any that, that I feel like are are unique to to the list that we've already come up with. But uh, the guys, I think you guys covered it. Sure. All right. You guys cool. are all great. You guys are all great. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'll see you next time. <laughs> we'll be right back. Um, who is the most dangerous Spider-Man villain? Maxwell writes acid reflux. Uh, <laughs> Jason has old age. Jeez, guys. Jeff has Mary Jane. Uh, Chris has love, and Luke has Avi R. <laughs> So, yeah. so no one yeah, chose an actual villain. You got that one. That is, I mean, that's cor- that's technically the correct answer. That's the answer. But who's right. the most dangerous Spider-Man villain? <laughs> Possibly from the actual Spider-Man universe. Any thoughts here? I, th- I think it depends on when you happen to be reading the comics. Like, sure. I, like during, du- like when when I was reading uh, the books, uh, you know, Norman Osborn was off the board. He was dead, and Hobgoblin. Yeah. Like, the guy you know uh-huh yeah for sure yeah no joke no joke villain back in the day for sure back in the day yeah it's it kind of it's a shame he's been com- almost completely sidelined but he was kind of kind of a big deal back then yeah i uh i when dr octopus goes to town on spider-man he knows how to go to town on spider let me tell you <laughs> so that's that's one where i'm like yeah, he's really dangerous and he has like he has eight arms also like in addition to being this crazy scientist guy he's like he's got all these extra appendages I, you know, I didn't survive far into the Carnage era, uh, for sure. I'm not, I'm not a big um, symbiote fan. And you know, and, but I did like the, I, I, I did like Venom as the foil to Spider-Man. Yeah. Like, you know, I thought that was a really interesting um, thing. You know, and and I, I like, I thought that was a 
that whole saga was actually super interesting but um uh you know alas uh, that's so much his, <laughs> his his depiction in on cinema has in, in on film has not quite been uh, in my <laughs> opinion quite up to the level of the comic book stories that preceded it. I mean, it's weird that you got that Topher for Life tattoo before May 3rd, 2007, <laughs> but I mean, it's, you, li- you live with what you get. Yeah, listen, it's it's a lower back tattoo. It's not going to ever come off. I, uh, you know, um, you know, it's like I got grace from Spider-Man 3. That was what I sort of wanted to be there, but they said Topher for life was the best way to go, so I just did it. But, um, but yeah. Um, all right. What are some great movies that meld together different stylistic, visual, or color choices? Uh, Luke Thompson, friend of the show, writes, trying to think of one without any animation at all, and all my mind comes up with is traffic. Good answer. Uh, Chris writes, Tank Girl, Frank Miller, Sin City, 2001 A Space Odyssey, The Picture of Dorian Gray, and The Lady from Shanghai. Uh, Chris, another Chris, writes Mandy. And Philip writes, House of Shen's The Assassin. I mean, we're, we're, what are, I, mean, I guess, I guess we have to say the words Wizard of Oz. Sure, yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess we, I, I think the, you have to kind of define what. It's a broad question means. on purpose. You I mean, know. As, as far as just movies that I guess I would say strike you based off visual ambition american splendor that's a good yeah that's a good one but i i mean i would say you know it's funny because i don't think you have to exclude animation but like i was trying like after i saw this i was like there have to be other movies that are sort of this audacious in their in their form and somebody like and i realized that like the last time I really felt this, and I say last time, like I saw this movie when it came out, but, but, you know, it's like Fantasia was a movie where you watched every version, every, every film is different than the other ones. You're not, it's not like you're like, oh, this is a, like a very cohesive collection of five, you know, however many short films that all are animated the same way. They're all different. And I think that's, that's really, um, really interesting um you know and which it's an anthology so it it works that way but i think that's what makes um spider-verse this spider-verse in particular so interesting is that the that the media uh, of of each character is different and that's what makes them like in this universe so interesting as a in in comparison to one another um but there obviously are many movies i mean if you want to talk about you know eternal sunshine or you know something that that really truly is taking filmmaking forward, you know, and I think it just depends on what you think that barometer is. In the, realm, the fucking matrix in the realm of like com- in the realm of like comic book movies. I mean, like Scott Pilgrim, Edward Garrett was certainly like tapping into something um, yeah. that just you don't see all the time in movies, and mm-hmm. and and then nobody wanted to go see it, so it flopped in theaters, and nobody took any lessons away from it. But it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, Speed Racer. Of course, there? Speed Racer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that movie, that movie, very. You're absolutely right, Eric. And that movie, very. Like, even its its editing is very deliberately, you know, anachronistic and unique and 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 really inventive and things like that. And I definitely think that that would qualify. Last question we have here: What are your favorite movie cliffhangers? Chris writes the Italian Job, and the Thing. Uh, Philip has the Empire Strikes Back heard of it favorite movie cliff i like how literal chris is with the italian job that's fun <laughs> that yeah that, that well well the og the og 
Italian job is so, that is such a great ending. Yes, it is. So you know, and the remake exists. Yes, does does it though? <laughs> it it came out on 4K recently, so somebody was clamoring for it. Yeah. Oh my god. It must sell well in the bargain bins. Yeah. That movie's probably fine. I don't know. I haven't seen that since 2003, but it's like, ah, whatever. Uh, it, it's, it's been on cable a lot lately, and okay. I have watched it. And it's, I mean, it's it's like, it's like a, a rice, cr- like, it's like rice cracker. It's just like, it's very bland. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, think, it's not, like, yeah, I, like, I think I, I found it less offensive that, and not even offensive, but like, as much as I like the Coen brothers, I don't care for their lady killers at all because I love the original lady killers so much. So it's like, ah, like this is just, the one black mark on their record. It's just really annoying to watch that version yeah. where like Italian job. I, I really like Michael Caine version, but like if F. Gary Gray is going to make this kind of throw, it's like, all right, whatever. Like it just didn't phase me in the same way <laughs> in the realm of remakes. Yeah. But of course, there's there's far more terrible remakes that have come along. That's for sure. So. For sure. For sure. What was this question? What are your favorite cliffhangers? <laughs> yeah, we we I was like, I don't know where you're going with this, buddy. I was like, he's talking about he he's talking about F. Gary Gray over here. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> I was like, you know. Um yeah, I was trying to think of cliffhangers. And um, you know, personally, the best cliffhanger I think I've ever seen is at the end of Fast Ten. Um, <laughs> you know, and um, you know, and, and no, I like I really am trying to think of one that I thought was, I, I mean, knowing that there were two volumes of Kill Bill was one for me. I think sure. because I because yeah. I was I loved the first part of that. I mean, it's, every time it's on TV, I will watch it. So you know, like, but the idea of getting to the end of it, it it comes to a more of a resting place. So it's not a you know a literal or figurative cliffhanger. It's just part one of a story. But but that was one where I was like, based on what I have just seen. I would like drive through traffic. I, I would do anything to see the, the second part of this right now. And, uh, well, I mean, it is uh, a cliffhanger in the sense that you do have the revelation that her da- the daughter is alive, which also is, interesting. and she still has to, you know, kill Bill. Also, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, but just as, as far as like leaving you on the edge of your seat with a big revelation, yes, sure. I mean, you have that. Mm-hmm. But there, like, it is cool also, though, like that in uh, the whole bloody affair when edited together, like that, that isn't in there at all. And that like the first revelation of the daughter is when you actually see her yeah so like that, that is in its own way it, yeah so, like i i've been lucky enough to see that version and yes I, I like that's such a it really is a great feat as far as how how the editing works in that original version compared to like it's I mean, it's great in halves as well but i do agree with you it's like such a if you're caught up in the emotion of the moment it really plays well to be like oh she's been alive the whole time like that's a that's a neat thing right. to, to have yeah. happen as the person that at the time was like the biggest reloaded fan possible i was <laughs> super ex- and i still i mean i still love reloaded i just more people seem to like him now also which is nice but like <laughs> if we're if we're, if i'm phrasing it as which cliffhanger led me to like i can't wait to see what the next step is here I, it would probably be reloaded like as far as cliffhanger mm. endings go yeah that movie lost me with the 20 minutes with the man and the, <laughs> with the televisions yeah <laughs> yeah get, make it longer that's what i said <laughs> <laughs> well listen Aaron, I am 100% on the reloaded train. I am in this. I've uh-huh. been in this camp since uh-huh. that movie came out. 
And, you know, I will say, if you also want to, I was like, the other part of this question is what cliffhangers were less satisfying to, <laughs> to pay off. And I think that the, the, the final Matrix movie, like even just trying to pick the, up where the, the last one left off. The first final, it yes. Doesn't, <laughs> it, it does, I, I'm sorry, I refuse to even acknowledge that that last one came out. I think that Ooh, in, sucks. Oh, man. But, oh, but, but, really. but, but, uh, but, but like the, but like, I just, you know, it's like, I still to this day, I've watched the last one like many times and I don't even remember what happens in it. Like, because I loved Reloaded so much and I love every, like, I mean, I even, I, I will, the, the, the room with the TVs is maybe slightly longer than it needs to be. I would agree with that. But the thing is that still that movie as a whole is much more entertaining. Whereas like you get to the third movie and I'm like, wait, what's this about? What are we having again? What are we doing? I don't know what it is. I don't disagree so, that I think it's the weakest Matrix film. I like it fine. But yeah, I, I would agree that as far as a payoff to what was set up by Reloaded. Sure. It's it's a it's a bit of a come down. It's definitely a come down from the only Matrix movies that exist. Three <laughs> movies. Um, and it's definitely the worst of the three, only three Matrix movies that exist, is what I'm saying. So. All right. Zach, do you have an answer? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I don't know if this is, this is a bit of a cheat because it wasn't conceived as a cliffhanger originally, but I think when you're watching all of them, the ending of Beneath the Planet of the Apes is a pretty of course, yes. great way to be like, what are they going to do? If, yeah, that, if, you told, if, you would, if you told, if like I walk out of the theater Beneath the Planet of the Apes and then someone's like, man, they're making another one. Can you believe it? I'm like, what the fuck would that be about? Like... <laughs> <laughs> And you're getting me at the right time, too, Zach, because I just actually rewatched all the sequels to Planet of the Apes. So I'm like, it's oh, really, nice. It's completely fresh in my mind. And I really, <laughs> I really like that franchise, even like if there are less, oh, like, sure. even if Battle doesn't have the money to pull off complete what it wants to do, it's still like, I just like I, that. I, I like this stories, these stories. 100%. Totally agree. But that, I mean, yes, when you get to, if someone's like watching Planet of the Apes for the first time and you're like, oh, there are five movies, let's watch that second one now. What? <laughs> What's happening? The earth is destroyed. Okay. Well, that was out now feedback. And thanks for the lively discussion of our feedback. And thanks to the listeners for giving us some cool answers, too. Uh, and that is, of course, going to bring us to the end of this week's episode. Um, you can find everything I do at my personal blog, thecodazeek.com. Everything I do ends up over there, but I write for Wheel of Entertainment for movie reviews and why is the blue for Criterion and Blu-ray reviews. I am also part of the Summer of 93 at 30 podcast, a special series on the Brandon Peters show, where Brandon Peters, Scott Mendelson, and I are talking about the summer movie season from 1993. That's a whole lot of fun, so feel free to check those episodes out. And I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Uh, let's go down the line here. Todd Gilchrist, where can people find more of you online? Uh, they can find me uh, at Variety. Uh, they can also find me on Twitter, although I don't tweet that much anymore. Um, I just occasionally uh, respond to Eric Eisenberg and to Jordan Hoffman talking about Green Lantern. Um, and then uh, and then I'm on Instagram at Best Dressed Todd. Uh, so you can you can definitely find me in all those places. Great. And I will make a plug for. Um, my interview with Metro Boomin, Phil Lord, and Chris Miller about the soundtrack to Across the Spider-Verse will be running probably tomorrow or Tuesday on Variety. So keep an eye out for it. Very cool. I will, I'll be sure to post that link in the show notes. Um, awesome. Yeah. Uh, Zach, Zachy Hassan, where can people find more of you online? Uh, you can see my reviews at the San Francisco Chronicle and IGN and uh, The Wrap. I'm uh, on 
Twitter and Instagram at Zachy's Corner. That's Z-A-K-I-S Corner. And if I can uh, do a brief plug, uh, at IGN, just a couple weeks ago, I had a piece go up that celebrates the 40th anniversary of V, uh, the, the TV oh. miniseries, and it, uh, including my interview with Kenneth Johnson, who created it. And I think that piece turned out pretty great. So if people want to check it out, that would be nice. Nice. Cool. Kenneth Very Johnson, cool. who yeah. coincidentally created uh the incredible hulk tv series that's right yeah and i interviewed him about that like 50 years ago before you were born zachy so that's That's... uh you know and it actually it will be on ign.com so everybody should go to ign.com right now (laughs) and read everything zachy writes and then my interview with kenneth johnson about incredible hulk perfect (laughs) if i had a soundboard i'd lay in that sad hulk music too just to really knock it home um (laughs) yes eric eisenberg where can we find more of you online uh, you can find all of my writing over on Cinema Blend, and if you want to catch me on social media, I'm on Twitter at E. Eisenberg. Wonderful. Um, you can find all the other episodes of Out Now Therapy on iTunes, Audio Boom, Spotify, and Stitcher. Feel free to email us at outnowpodcast.gmail.com, facebook.com slash outnowpodcast, twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast, and instagram.com slash outnow underscore podcast. You can follow us on all those social media sites as well. Yes, thank you very much, Todd, Zach, and Eric, for joining me for this episode. Thank you for having us. Awesome. Yeah, thanks so much for having us on. It was fun. This was, this, this was a lot of fun. I'm, I'm I'm very glad we were able to finally sing the praises of a very undersung movie, The Social Network. So, you know. <laughs> it, it, it is certainly worthwhile to be able to, to express praise on such movies and remind people of the shortcomings of certain people when it comes to their reviews on Green Lantern. Um, but... <laughs> With all of that in mind, once again, thank you guys for being on here. Thanks to the listeners for listening. Next week, we'll be talking Transformers, colon, Rise of the Beasts. So we'll finally see how that goes. Uh, but until next time, so long. And I just came to my senses. Yo, I stay in another dimension. Fear is non-existent. Trying to